in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. Hey, man. Give me a hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. As always, I am your co-host, Preacher Artstone, and with me, as always, is uh, your co-host, Andy Hart. Thank you for joining us today, listeners. We hope you'll find this episode informative as well as uplifting. Oh, please, listeners, donate another double double twin-engine jet plane G4, the one that Britney Spears has to us. You've donated so generously in the past. Please continue sending us jet planes. <laughs> the Lord wants us to have a jet plane. Andy, why are we, why are we so filled with the gospel that we're talking like uh, evangelical preachers? Because we both had a spiritual experience <laughs> overnight. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, Andy. I think it might be related to today's topic. Where the rotting body of the Apostle Paul visited us in a dream and showed us the true way. <laughs> and it's on a jet plane. Yeah, that's right. Uh, no, today we're talking Jonestown. Oh, did that thing only happen to me with Paul? Um, you didn't have that dream? No, oh. I normally have dreams where I have to take a poopy, and I'm nowhere near it. I'm I'm in a toilet, but everyone's watching me, and I can't poopy <laughs> when when they're watching me. I thought you were gonna say you have you have to take a poopy, but your butt is completely skinned over, so there's no butt I have like a anymore. Kendall butt. Yeah. Uh, no, Andy. I think that was only you were visited by the rotting zombie carcass of the Apostle Paul, which. At this point, very decomposed. I would say even his bones gone. Mm. Wouldn't you? Mm, no, they bones. were still there. Bones don't decompose? Uh, I don't know. Probably. Everything decomposes. Well, we all turn to dust. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Hey, Mardi Gras is coming up, so remember to do your, <laughs> do your due diligence after and... Find that tiny baby hidden in that king cake. And then the next day, get those ashes smeared on your forehead. Uh, no, we're talking Jonestown today, Andy. We're talking the mad preacher himself, Jim Ooh. Jones. Jim Jones. We're talking the unfortunate... Uh, Jim Jones. Mr. Your son of a Jones. gun. Mr. Jones and me. Look at all the beautiful... I don't know I'm not crowning crows. Mr. Jones and me. 
Uh, we're talking Jim Jones. We're talking the entire timeline of the unfortunate massacre at Jonestown. Yeah. And then we're also dabbling into some conspiracies that people believe are connected to Jonestown. Uh, Bunk Funkers, we're giving you the whole enchilada on this topic. That's right. Um, so get ready. Uh, there is a, uh, I mean, there is, you know, obviously we're talking the cult of Jonestown. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Jim Jones's life and what led him up to this point. Uh, we're talking about possible MK Ultra and CIA connections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff. It's wide ranging. It's a, th- there's a thick enchilada. It's a thick one. So if you it's wanna, overstuffed, if you're hungry, bunk funkers, and you want to get right to all that research, look in the show notes. Uh, of whatever podcasting app you use, there will be a timestamp that can help you uh, skip ahead straight to the research. Because first, Andy and I, well, we got abducted by the titular Mr. Bunker Mm -hmm. of Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. Right. And it's always in a wacky and weird way, and we got to talk about it. We have to get it off our chest. Just like these shirts that are chafing us. We're wearing very uncomfortable wool sweaters with no undergarment. Mm-mm. And it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, now, Andy, you're, you're a pecu- peculiar, peculiar, another word I can't say. Uh, you're a strange fella. Yeah. You're an old school fella. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. You want to expand on that? <laughs> Yeah, I will. You want to? I mean, or, I mean, I can just keep talking about you. Uh, <laughs> I'm so bad. You're a freak. Yeah, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> yeah, I am a little bit old fashioned. Um, you know, I still have cable in my house. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We haven't cut the cord yet. In today's economy. In today's economy, and it's expensive. Oh. Um, uh, I've been vying for you to cut the cable cord for a long time. You have been. But you guys uh, won't do it. Yeah, I uh, I am a longtime subscriber to the Playboy channel, and I don't want to lose my membership perks. Uh, yeah. They make a lot of great programming, some of it on the smuttier side, which I don't necessarily <laughs> approve of. But, uh, you know, so many people sharing so many great stories about yeah. Norman Mailer and Dean Martin. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always an infomercial for the Dean Martin comedy roasts, which I could just watch on repeat. Just day, the infomercial. Just the info. I don't want to watch the actual Not the, show. Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of crude jokes in there, but they edit that out for the infomercial. Uh, it's uh, it's just such a great channel, and I get so many membership perks. Um, I get uh, one martini mailed to me every year <laughs> on my birthday. Um, I get uh, autographed uh, pictures of the playmate of the month. Wow. Um, uh, I asked them to uh, stop sending those to me because I don't not necessarily comfortable with the feminine body. Yeah. Because um, uh, it makes me feel certain ways, Art, that are unclean. Okay. It makes me... You're an old-fashioned guy. Touch myself. Uh, wow. You said touch yourself in and your... My phone... My phone picked that up, so it recorded that I said I touched myself. Huh. I don't know what... So your phone uh, has a command where you say, touch no, yourself. No, uh, no, uh, oh, God. Anyway, 
Uh, my cable went out the other day. <laughs> okay. And so I call up uh, Comcast and I'm like, hey, can you send a uh, technician over here? Yeah. And they were like, sure. Wow. Uh, so um, Classic interaction. Yeah. And uh, I got the appointment window. It was from, uh, you know, it's like one of these classic like cable company uh, windows. It was from 8 a.m. on uh, Tuesday morning to uh, 10 p.m. on Friday night. Um, I had to be available the whole time. Classic. Uh, Half so, week. You know. Yeah. So standard. the guy. So the the technician uh, calls me up at uh, 2 a.m. on Thursday, and he wants to come over and fix the cable. Um, so uh, he comes by. Um, this guy is, uh, I mean, honestly, kind of funny looking to me. All right. Well, okay. A little rude, but okay. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, bear with me. Sure. Um, he's got this real, real, real long mustache. Like, huh. um, and it's, it's like, it's, it's long, like all the way, like it goes across the lip and, you know, sometimes it's like people grow it out on the sides. Well, this was like the whole way across. Like a Fu Manchu almost. No, like across the mouth it went. Oh, wow. So like when he talks. It's like a curtain. The mustache like flaps in the breeze from his mouth. That's strange. Yeah, it's strange. Um, he had he had no hair on the top of his head though, um, but thick bushy eyebrows, uh, and they were di- it's like a Yosemite Sam looking guy. Clearly dyed jet black, Ugh. like Grecian five kind of stuff. Grecian five. Uh, he My had favorite Greek boy band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Grecian five. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was uh, so greasy, like just like looks like a a person who'd used too much lotion. Just really slippery. Watch yourself, buddy. As a fellow greasy person, you better watch yourself. No, no, but I'm saying like yours is natural grease. <laughs> uh, you're a spicy pepperoni oh, stick. I see. Uh, rendering in life, uh, and this guy. I mean, it was it was uh, it was lotiony. Okay. You know, like he put his hand on the doorknob and it Ew. left it left like a residue. Uh, like a handprint, like a residue of the, the lotion. He's using like too rich of a lotion. Yeah, formula. like thick shea butter all Ooh, over his body. Wow. Um, so he comes in and he's uh, he's taking a look uh, at the cable. I mean, butt crack visible oh, even when he's standing up. Classic. And then when he bends. He hates to get horny while that's happening. When he bends over, like the pants slide down. So whole, like half of the entire ass is visible. Oh, yeah. Uh, and... I mean, look, I'm getting a humongous erection, and it's embarrassing. Like, I don't need to be, like, having this guy's brown eye winking at me while I'm trying to get my cable fixed. What does he think he is, a kitty cat? Yeah, like, I'm getting so horny. And, uh, like, he he's uh, he's fixing the cable, and he's like, uh, oh, you know, th- you're, uh, there's a bad connection mm. uh, to this equipment. I think your equipment's bad. Because, you know, you rent all the equipment from the cable company and he's like let me uh let me go down to the truck i'll get you a new one and uh so this is like the the like modem thing where the sure. cable comes into the place and uh so he goes down to the truck and i crank one out real quick in the bathroom just to get myself under control and so he comes back and we're both covered in lotion and he's hooking this thing up and he's like okay well now you know, you get this new equipment. It comes with a new remote. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so he's like, "Let me show you how to use it." He's like, um, 
you know, this is the power button, the one that says power. And he's being pretty condescending about it, frankly. It's like, I think I can figure out a remote. Um, but he's showing me some of the features, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he's like, you know, uh, there's, you know, the cable company Comcast expanding to make some more like convenience features mm. with their uh, equipment. So this one has, uh, you can you can use it for other appliances in the house. It's like a universal remote. Right. Like, and for stuff that doesn't, shouldn't have a remote like oh mm. you can turn on your microwave oh. with this mm. um you can turn on and off your lights with this mm. um and he's like even you know you can use it it's got like a it's got like a, a gravitational beam uh that you can use to like pick up small objects holy shit uh and so he like points it like at, in half-life uh, maybe okay yeah <laughs> Sure. Agree with me. Okay, yes. Uh, just like in Half-Life. Um uh I was I I've never played Half-Life. Half-Life 2. Um I was in they made a video game, a similar video game about me though, called Low Life. Um so he he sees uh all this raw fruit. Uh. So he sees all this raw fruit on my floor and he's like, "Well, look, well, look I can pick up this uh navel orange." Andy, what? Quick, keeping your fruit on the floor. Look, it's just as good as on the counter. It doesn't matter. It's all peeled up anyway. You know, and eat the orange peel art. So he sees this navel orange, and I'm telling you, this is a honking navel orange. I mean, we're talking like grapefruit sized. Wow. Navel this is a big fucking navel orange. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, he points the remote at it, lifts it up, uh, presses like the down arrow on the remote. Mm -hmm. It just like slowly reels in. Wow. Hands me the orange. Uh, and pretty impressed by this. Uh, so I give it a shot. Uh, I'm like, well. Maybe this could be used to pick up my underwear that I can't bend over and pick them up. No. Um, who could be bothered? Uh, who can physically do that? So I point the remote at my undies that are strewn about the floor, uh, and they lift right up, right into my hands. Wow. Yeah. And while I'm sitting there thinking about when the last time it was that I ate cabbage, uh, <laughs> He takes the remote back. As you do. I mean, the smell was filling the air. And he's, uh, he's like, showing me some other stuff. And he, like, points it at me, and he pushes a few buttons. And all of a sudden, I, like, I zap. And I go into the remote. Wow. So now I'm, like, I'm, like, an electrical signal now. Whoa. He converted all my matter to an electrical signal. And I'm... Zipping, zipping through the the remote. Wow. And I'm just like going on this circuit, you know? It's the most I've ever run in my life. Woof. And like Sonic. Yeah, I was the like Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog. And except I'm Sonic <laughs> the huge hog. <laughs> there it is. Uh I'm so thick, the huge hog. Uh, so anyway, Sonic. What's the other one? Chaos, Amy, Knuckles. Tails. Tails. And too thick. Too thick. What would you say? Too thick, the huge hog. So thick. So thick. I'm sucking on chili dogs. Yeah, you're really into the chili dog part. Yeah, that's the only part of the Sonic. <laughs> not collecting gold no. rings or running fast. I don't have any gold. I'm not going to run anywhere. I'm just eating chili dogs. That's the only part of the Sonic. 
<laughs> so thick the huge hog. And so I'm I'm blasting through this circuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh and next, you know, like I don't have any idea what's happening uh to me. It's a surreal experience. I could imagine. Uh and then the next thing I know, I get I get I reappear in fully assembled material form. But I'm in the bunker. Oh my god. And I'm completely naked. Why? Lost my damn clothes in the remote. Why? Why? Why does Bunker take our clothes away? There's the cable tech. He rips off the big mustache. It's Bunker. Yeah. Of course. Bald cap comes off. Uh, rubs the dye out of his eyebrows and fully conceals his butt crack. It was a false butt. <laughs> he was wearing a false butt. He knew it would get me horny and let my guard down. False butt. False butt. God damn, don't you hate getting tricked by a false butt? So he throws me a humongous oversized t-shirt that's got Donald Duck and Daisy Duck kissing on it. And he's like, get to bed soon. And then he disappears. Wow, so you've been here since Thursday. Yeah, I've been sleeping. Holy shit, man. What have you been doing? Oh, you know. um, Cranking. Cranking. Pooping. Pooping. Eating. Uh, I wrote a few letters to my Congress people. <laughs> well, you're pretty productive. I mean, just to chat. Just to chat. Not to discuss issues. No. You just want to know what's up. This country's fine. <laughs> I have no complaints. Wow, Andy. That was uh, that was quite the experience. Sure. you telling me. Um, it was a red letter day for So Thick the Huge Hog. <laughs> Can we see some damn fan art of that? You OG bunk funkers, let's see some fan art. Some fan art of so thick the huge hog. Let us know. Um, <laughs> speaking of surreal experiences, yeah. You know, Andy. Uh, lately, I just haven't felt like myself. I haven't felt like I'm getting the most out of life. You know, maybe it's a little seasonal winter depression or what have you. But, oh, no. And you know what? Yeah, yeah. feel bad for me. I do. Yeah, feel bad. But I need something to help pep me up. Mm-hmm. So I saw an ad in the paper about a hypnotist speaker coming to town and oh. giving a huge talk, you know, uh, one, of those, one of those big seminars at the local park district building. Right. His name is Evan, and uh, his seminar is Evan, Essence of Life, Unlocking the True You. Evan Essence of Life. Yes, Evan okay. Essence of Life. Uh, and so anyway, I head over and it's, you know, this huge auditorium filled to the brim with people. I mean, there had to have been like a thousand people there. And Evan Essence of Life uh, was taking the stage. Is this like a new age name that he that he has? Or is it just... Could just be a stage Does he name. go by Evan Essence of Life? Yes, Evan okay. Essence of Life. Okay, and, so uh, like last name is Essence of Life. Yeah. Is it one word? Uh, I, it was billed as multiple words. Yeah, yeah. So Probably makes it easier to read. He looks like a mix between a vampire prince and a Hot Topic in-store model. Mm-hmm. He's got these piercing blue eyes and jet black hair. Mm. And he's wearing a giant chain for a necklace. Yeah. So he looks fucking It's like cool. an industrial chain. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, <laughs> Evanescence of Life starts by greeting everyone. He says, my immortals, he says. Mm-hmm. You know, in... He says that we should, you know, because we should try to live our lives like we're immortal without fear of dying. Right. It's like a, it's like a mind thing. You know? It's because you can't, you can't change the fact that you're going to die. So right. you shouldn't live in fear of it. You should just accept that as right. a part of life. I agree. With you that almost sound like Evanescence of Life too. 
<laughs> so already I'm feeling better about myself. And then he mm -hmm. says he's going to perform a hypnosis technique hmm. on one lucky audience member. And wouldn't you know, Andy, I got picked. You got picked. How many people were at this? I'm going under hypnosis. Yeah. Like a thousand, a thousand people. Man, that's lucky. Yeah. I know. So I go up on the stage. Yeah. And Evanescence of Life is, you know, he immediately knows. It's incredible, Andy. It's it's like he knows what's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. He looks at me and he says, you're being routinely captured by an illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist. I mean, did he say then, is this guy fucking good or what? Did then he say known only as Mr. Bunker? No, he didn't say that. Wow. Because I cut him off and I responded, how can you see into my eyes like open doors? Wow. Leading you down into my core where I've become so numb without a soul. Mm -hmm. My spirit's, it's sleeping somewhere cold. This guy got to you. He got to me. You opened up right away. Right away, Andy. I mean, the power of hypnosis. Yeah. I wasn't even hypnotized. You were even hypnotized. Yes. The power of the suggestion of <laughs> hypnosis. <laughs> Just the idea of it. Without missing a beat, Andy, he's like, until you find it there and lead it back home. Wow. Bam. Instantly, I'm hypnotized. Those must have been the magic words. What? That just like that you were hypnotized? Just like that. And suddenly I feel like I'm free falling out of a giant skyscraper on a cold night sky. Okay. Endlessly falling. Uh -huh. And I see Bunker is there and he's falling with me. And I immediately don't like this. Yeah. Wake me up. Wake me up inside, I say. Yeah. I can't wake up, he says. Wake me up. Save me. Call my name and save me from the dark, I scream. Yeah. Wake me up. He's, Bunker responds, bring my blood to run. What the heck does that mean, Andy? Does he want me to cut him with a knife? Yeah, I think he's asking you to murder him. I can't wake up, I retort. Then I notice my body is unraveling like some kind of mummy. I say, before I come undone, save me, save me from the nothing I've become. Then suddenly I'm awake. Oh, I'm back on stage at the Evanescence of Life oh. show. I've soiled myself, naturally. <laughs> But boy, do I feel like I've Was worked out some stuff. Was that related to the stuff. hypnosis? A <laughs> little bit of A, a little bit of B. Yeah, sure. Anywho, I leave the venue. Mm -hmm. Bunker is waiting outside for me. Mm -hmm. I told him, call me when you're sober. And I effing Ubered myself here. I'm taking charge. You came! I Ubered oh. myself here. He's oh. not going to tell me what to do. Oh. He's not going to control my destiny. Oh. I'm an Evanescence of life. He, I'm an Evanescence fan club. He, you, you came willingly. I came on my own fruition. He can't control me. He can't capture me no more. I'm doing it art's way. Wake me up. I've been awoken. Wow. This is a, this is a big development. Yeah. So, so you're not going to get abducted anymore. We'll see what happens. Okay. You can try, but I'm doing things art's way. Wow. Art's way or the highway. That's right. Wow. Andy, this... I'm telling you, you should go see Evanescence, Evanescence of Life. Evanescence of Life sounds like a pretty good hypnotist. Yeah. He cut right to your core. He, he sees through you. Yeah. And uh, he knows what's up. He'll wake you up. He'll wake you up inside. Even if you can't wake up. You'll wake up. Wow. I'm going to check this guy out. Yeah, you should. Yeah, Evanescence of Life. Anywho, 
Now we're wow. here. What a life-altering experience. That's right. And uh, 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 speaking of life-altering experiences, Andy, uh, I mean, Jonestown was a life-ending experience for a lot of people. Oh, boy. It was a life-ending experience for a lot of people, yes, and a life-changing experience for many in this country, as it, as we'll say, it was the worst, the greatest singular loss of, of American life. Stunning statistic. Until... 9-11. Incredible. That is almost... I was shocked by for that. 30 years, I think. Yeah. Well, 20. I didn't realize. You never think about it. 20 years. The highest number of American deaths... Yeah. Until 9-11. Until 9-11. Like, brought upon by, like, one person, you know, or whatever. Right, single event. Single event, correct. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it's, it's not a story for the faint of heart. It is, uh, but you know, we're going to get to it and, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. listeners will mention this, but just to preface it, you know, some viewer, listener discretion advised, there may be some sections of the infamous death tape that, uh, Jones recorded and we might splice some of it into the research where, where it's appropriate. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you know, everything. Like everything Jones did was recorded and all of it is available online. You can access yeah. a ton of it from the um, San Diego State University uh, website that will be linked in the research. They have the ultimate compendium of research on Jonestown. Yeah. It's actually incredible how much they uh, they have on, on Jonestown. If you can stomach it, you should... You should listen to it. I mean, there's photos, you know, some of these photos, pretty gruesome stuff, pretty yeah. gruesome stuff. But um, we need to get to the research here, Andy. So without further ado, we are going to, uh, we're going to travel to Indiana first. Oh, and we're going to learn a little bit about Mr. Jim Jones here on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. Rich. It goes without saying that Jonestown is one of the most horrific and tragic events in U.S. history. Its memory lingers on even to this day, an event so unfathomable, so needlessly heinous that today we are still left asking how. How did the self-made preacher fanatic Jim Jones convince almost 1,000 people to end their lives on November 18, 1978? How? Did he amass such a following? Surely you've heard the phrase, perhaps you've said it yourself, drinking the Kool-Aid. A trope commonly meaning to believe something unconditionally, despite obvious or lack of credible evidence. Well, today, bunk funkers, we won't be drinking any Kool-Aid, oh no. But we will be serving up a whole enchilada on the entire timeline of Jim Jones and Jonestown. And for a little extra spice... We'll cover some of the most common conspiracies associated with this horrific tragedy. So who was Jim Jones? How did Jonestown begin? Is there a CIA connection to MKUltra with it? Let's dig in. James Warren Jones was born in 1931 to James Thurman Jones and Lynetta Jones in Crete, Indiana. The Jones 
owned a family farm, but, well, the Great Depression hit the U.S. in the 1930s, and keeping up, the Joneses could not. Art, you always rag on me for how I write scripts, yet <laughs> you write this Yoda-sounding shit? That's what I like. The Jones, the Jones owned a family farm, but, well, the Great Depression hit... The U.S. in the 30s, and keeping up, the Joneses could not. <laughs> anyway, what I'm trying to say in art speak is economic difficulties from the Great Depression caused trouble for the family early in young Jim's life. So they left the farm and moved to Lynn, Indiana in 1934, where Jones grew up in a shack of a house without plumbing. Lynn was a poor town where there was only one restaurant, one stoplight, but five churches. Despite the population of only 1,350 people. Jim's father, commonly referred to as Big Jim, was a World War I veteran whose lungs were injured due to mustard gas. Not unlike how Andy's rectum produces uh, after he eats a lot of mustard. And I eat a lot. When Big, Jim, Big, when Big Jim returned, he was a resentful man who, uh, well, he couldn't amount to much. He was an invalid, collecting government checks and mostly hanging out in the pool hall. He had all but given up on life and young Jim Jones, and he didn't work. Jim's mother, Lynetta, on the other hand, was full of life. Lynetta was somewhat educated, even taking some college courses, which was a big deal back then. But trapped by the family's poverty and her defeatist husband, she instilled in her only child a fiery ambition. She was thrifty and saved her money and always wanted better for her son than what they had. Lynetta was a rough and ready lady who smoked, drank, cursed, and worked hard. And contrary to what you think about Jim Jones, she held very controversial religious views for the time, meaning that she didn't take it very seriously. She thought organized religion was for dumb zealots and it was all a bunch of garbage. She held a mystical, almost pagan view on spirituality. Uh, there was no God in the sky, but spirits and animals and stories about them held enchantment in a magical world. Young Jim may have seemed to uh, pick up on his mother's sense of grandiose fantasy. Try as she might, Lynetta couldn't keep young Jim away from Christianity for long. Since she was working most of the day, local Pentecostal and Methodist neighbors would take Jim to church, where he first witnessed the fiery passion and devout freedom of emotion of organized Pentecostal services. Young Jim would hold his own church services where he was the pastor, and he would get the other town children to play the congregation. Young Jim would allegedly even kill cats or find roadkill and host funerals for them. And that totally made him a hit with the other school kids. Hey, I remember when I was a kid and all the kids wanted to go to Chuck E. Cheese, but I murdered him and held a funeral for him in my backyard. <laughs> wow. That explains a lot. <laughs> um, but... Or, no, classmates often describe Jim as oh. strange and religion-obsessed, which is saying something for a town with five churches in it. Young Jim's father was a deadbeat, and his mother worked hard, had, had work to do. Uh, she was often, uh, Jim was often alone. He felt uh, alienated at school functions where his classmates had their parents there, and he had no one. This leads some to believe it drove him further into the arms of religion. It gave him a spiritual home to escape from his real one. It accepted him despite his social rejection. Young Jim saw preachers as father figures, but more importantly, he recognized the power they held over their congregation and he could amass a following. Now, let me say this. It can be tough to gauge the validity of stories about Jim's childhood because 
you know, according to him retelling stories about his childhood, you know, he was this rogue vigilante of duality, a, a rough and tumble badass who rolled with a gang of other street kids, defended the weak from bullies and did good and preached the word of God. But teachers, oh, the teachers constantly mocked him and alienated him for who they thought he was, white trash. But Jones, you know, he isn't exactly the most reliable narrator. Shocking. And many of these stories seem apocryphal. What? I did, I laughed at this uh, when I read it before. What's uh, so funny about apocryphal? But, uh, okay, bunk funkers. Here's how Art spelled apocryphal in the script. A-P-O-C-C-R-A-F-U-L. So it's it's spelled phonetically. Apocryphal. Yeah. Whatever, dude. I Listen, if the word... What, Spell checker didn't catch it, then I don't got to worry about it. <laughs> Personally, Andy, I think it depends on what media you're consuming. Mm-hmm. You know, you watch certain documentaries, they say one thing, you watch other, you read certain things, they say other things. Some classmates are called he was rather normal, quiet and reserved, serious about religion, but rarely pushed it on anyone. Hey, he even dated a few ladies in high school. He was popular, but by no means uh, a leader. Others, though, you know, recall him being a sick fuck who was a total nut job. Not unlike how our former schoolmates will one day refer to us in a PBS documentary. Right? I can only hope. Yeah. Uh, so after high school, uh, Jones took a job working the night shift at a local hospital as a surgeon. There he would meet. A- <laughs> oh, wait. No, sorry. That's wrong. Uh, there he would uh, meet and later marry nurse Marceline Baldwin in 1949. The couple moved to Bloomington, Indiana, and Jones took some courses at Indiana University, Bloomington. But when the couple moved to Indianapolis in 1951, Jones started to really kick the preaching up a notch. Bam! Little Emerald. Little Emerald. 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 Jones was an avid reader in school, and this began his interest in communism in the early 1950s. He was disgusted with the persecution of communists in the McCarthy area of U.S. politics, and he was fascinated reading how Stalin held off the Nazis in World War II. Jones was a big fan of a lot of Stalin practices. In hindsight, <laughs> it was a red flag. Uh, a, red, a real red, red flag. Yeah, red, red flag. Yeah. With a yellow hammer and a sickle. <laughs> in 1952, he became a student pastor at the Somerset Southside Methodist Church, but later claimed he left the church because its leaders barred him from integrating blacks into his congregation. Jones had found solidarity with the black community throughout his life. He routine, routinely fought for racial integration in churches and businesses. In fact, One story that often floats around with Jim Jones is that in high school, he brought home a black friend and his father, a staunch racist and alleged Ku Klux Klan member, wouldn't allow the kid to come inside the home. So Jim said he wouldn't go home either and didn't speak to his father for many years after that incident. Around this time, Jones witnessed a faith healing service at the Seventh-day Baptist Church. Um, He observed that it attracted really large crowds and their money. He concluded that he could accomplish his social goals with financial resources from such services. Jones found that the best way to get people in his church was to adopt the fiery, impassioned sermons like the ones of Father Divine, who um, might deserve his own episode one day, was a very well-known preacher that some followers even believe was the second coming of Jesus. Jones organized some rather impressive crowds for a large religious convention where he started to hone his faith-healing spectacle and sermon technique. Following the success of these conventions, Jones was able to finally launch his own church, which, you know, it went by various names until one stuck. 
the People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel. Easy to see why they picked that one. <laughs> yeah. The People's Temple was initially an interracial mission. Jim, again, was disgusted that churches were segregated at the time, which was the catalyst for launching the first People's Temple Church, in which black members were not only welcomed, but completely integrated into the congregation. Unlike Art or I, the People's Temple was popular from the get-go. The faith-healing drama was still the star of the show. But impressed by Jones' skills and racial equality mission, in 1960, the mayor of Indianapolis appointed Jim to the Indianapolis Human Rights Commission. Jim used every opportunity he could, going on radio and local TV programs, to further his cause of racial integration. Now, let's turn hindsight off for a moment. On the outside, it appeared like Jones was an honest, hardworking preacher, and he was not a and he was a, a strong advocate for racial equality. Jones was Jones not only talked the talk, he walked the walk, creating what he called his uh, rainbow family. Jones and Marceline were the first white couple to adopt a black child in the state of Indiana. They also adopted two Korean American children and had one natural born son. Jones encouraged others in his church to adopt children from war torn countries. In December 1961, Jones had what he calls a prophetic dream in which the entire Midwest, you know, Chicago, Indiana, the other, Ohio. Yeah, uh, the other. Ohio. That, well, all right. Anyway, Ohio Gazimus. <laughs> Anyway, they had been destroyed in a nuclear holocaust. So he decided that the People's Temple needed to move somewhere safer. And he read a 1962 Esquire magazine article about the nine safest places in the world to be in the event of a nuclear attack. Belo Horizonte, Brazil, topped the list. So Jones moved his family to Belo Horizonte in 1962. By the way... Not before stopping in Guyana for a short amount of time. More on that later. Wink, wink. <laughs> but he found it difficult to live in Belo Horizonte as, well, no one spoke good English. Mm. He was kind of gauging how interested the local population was to his message, but he was also running low on funds. Frequently requesting the church back home in the States send him money, but the church's congregation was dwindling due to Jones's absence. He moved to Rio de Janeiro in mid-1963 and after working with the poor in the city slums for a bit, well, he began to feel guilt for leaving his church and racist or race inequality uh, fight back home uh, in Indiana. Also, he heard that the church was about to collapse without him there. Also, that cash cow was running dry of green milk, if you know what I'm saying. I only drink the green milk. <laughs> in December 1963, Jones moved his family back home to Indiana. Well, the whole guilt about leaving his mission back home in Indianapolis thing was a big old fucking lie, I guess. Go figure. Because in 1960, <laughs> this guy, this guy, lie? lying. <laughs> what? Because in 1964, shortly after returning from Brazil, Jones, his family, and about 140 congregates moved to another place in the nine safest places list, Yukia in Northern California. For the next few years, the church services were held at a rented build at rented buildings, and Jim worked as a high school teacher increasing the congregation. Eventually, in 1968, the People's Temple was awarded official status as a Christian church and was given its own building. But Jones would also begin spreading the church and its message to San Francisco, providing businesses north to, uh, or I'm sorry, providing buses north to the Yukia location from San Francisco. But while the church was California dreaming, 
Jones was California scheming. <laughs> when the church started to infiltrate the San Francisco political scene in the late 60s and early 70s, its message and values, well, they started to change drastically. Jones had always spoke about the gospel virtues and interlaced it with socialist values. But by the time the 60s rolled around, he started to introduce what he called his apostolic, apostol, apostolic, apostolic socialism. There we go. To the temple. He became, he started to preach, quote, those who remain drugged with the opiate of religion had to be brought to enlightenment. Socialism. By the early 70s, Jones started to throw away the Christianity part altogether, describing it as a, quote, flyaway religion and rejecting the Bible as an oppressive tool against women and non-whites. He even denounced God altogether. Jones also began preaching that he was the reincarnation of Gandhi, Father Divine Jesus, Gautama Buddha, and Vladimir Lenin. I'm the reincarnation of the Kool-Aid Man, Kirby, and the Pokemon, Voltorb. All those characters famously have died and I am their reincarnation. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, thanks for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> the Kool-Aid man, Kirby and Voltorb, the Pokemon. Anyway, Jones makes a sharp, sharp turn into the temple being centered around him alone. Hugh Fortson jr. A former member recalled Jones preaching quote, what you need to believe in is what you can see. If you see me as your friend, I'll be your friend. If you see me as your father, I'll be your father for those of you that don't have a father. If you see me as your savior, I'll be your savior. If you see me as your God, I'll be your God. Those are also the lyrics to personal Jesus, aren't they? <laughs> Maybe. Um, anyway, as the temple turned to preaching about politics, it also became increasingly active in the San Fran political scene. In 1975, help from Temple voters played an instrumental role in George Moscone's mayoral victory in uh, San Francisco. Moscone then appointed Jones as the chairman of the San Francisco Housing Authority Commission. By the mid-1970s, the Temple was full-on promoting the communal socialist utopia that Jones so often preached about. Members were urged to live a communal lifestyle. In fact, members' children would also be encouraged to be raised communally, often through temple communes or guardianships. The temple stressed physical discipline for the children, which involved repeated paddling of the children with a wooden paddle in front of temple members. That's a paddling. That's a paddling. You better believe that's a paddling. Great. Uh, what's his name? Jasper? Jasper Beardsley. Yeah. He, he, he wasn't part of the temple, but... You know, anyway, the practice later turned into disciplinary boxing matches where the disciplined child was outmatched by one or more other members. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Adult members were later also subjected to this form of punishment. The money saved from all this communal living was also donated back into the temple, of course. The church also urged members to donate their real estate, social security and employment checks over to the temple. Members real estate would be converted into communal living units. The temple eventually possessed at least a dozen communes throughout San Francisco's Fillmore district. Members' possessions were often sold through flea markets. If all this isn't raising bright red flags enough for you, dear bunk funkers, there's even one story about, due to the size constraints of the communal living spaces, the temple had to shoot and kill members' pets and bury them in a mass grave. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Jesus had nothing to do with it at this point, Art. 
This was the church of Jim Jones, and he ruled through fear. Jones asked adults to sign papers admitting various crimes and wrongdoings, including conspiring against the U.S. government, involvement in terrorist acts, and molesting their own children. If they ever tried to leave, Jones threatened to release the statements. Jones was able to gain contact with prominent politicians at the local and national level. For example, he and Moscone met privately with vice presidential candidate Walter Mondale. He also met with First Lady Rosalind Carter, Harvey Milk, and Willie Brown to name a few. But, like Icarus in the sun, Jones was flying a little too close to the spotlight. All this media attention brought with it inquisitive journalists. Ooh, those sleuthy investigative journalists. We love sleuths! God damn, we love a sleuth. Journalists! Fuck! <laughs> oh, we love God sleuths! damn, fucking sleuths are so good. Journalists were beginning to compile stories about Jones and some of the uh, unsavory aspects of his temple commune. But Jones had forged strong alliances with some key members at the San Francisco Chronicle and other press outlets. For example, Chapel or Chronicle reporter Marshall Kildruff, who uh, released actually one of the most damning exposés on the temple, which we'll mention in a bit, he allegedly encountered resistance to publishing his story for years, which is what eventually led him to releasing it in New West magazine. But Jones... Jones had gained some real power in the city despite all the wrongdoings. At one point in December 1973, Jones was arrested in a Hollywood theater on a lewd conduct charge where an undercover officer caught him cranking off in a bathroom. You see, these were theaters that people would go to watch pornos and masturbate publicly. I used to frequent them a lot when I was 15 in 1973. I love cranking off. Nothing better than... Going into the porno theater and cranking off with your buddies. Yeah. Well, well, that's what you guys did back then. Yep, back then. Not a lot of other entertainment options for 15-year-olds, so we just head to the local porno theater, crank off in the seats. Yeah. I mean, if anything, Jim should have been not arrested because he was in the bathroom. <laughs> I just did it in the seats. <laughs> well, that's why they're so sticky. Anywho, those charges were dropped by the city attorney's office. Jim's charges. Jim's not charges, yours. not mine. Yeah. Mine stuck, like everything else did to me, because of my sticky, sticky cum. Uh, so anyway, Jim Jones was uh, actually allegedly a bisexual, according to some of his former aides. But he demanded that scores of women in his church submit to him. From his pulpit, he ranted for hours on the evils of sexual temptation, but used his own charm, looks, and overt suggestions of sexuality to help maintain control over female followers. But it was one media expose in particular that was the catalyst for Jones's egress from the United States to, to Guyana. Uh, this one issue in particular caused Jones to begin to preach of the evils of the media. They became the enemy, and this was also when he first began to bring up the idea of a mass suicide in protest of all the scrutiny and evils of America. David Kahn spent several years conducting his own investigation of the abuses and crimes committed at the People's Temple. He had known many ex-members, and they confided in him the fake healings, the beatings, the sexual assaults, the child abuse, thefts, other crimes and misdeeds co committed by Jones and his aides. Kahn sent all this information to reporters at the San Francisco Examiner, the Chronicle, New West, as well as the police and U.S. Treasury, Treasury Department. Well, 
Jones eventually found out about Kahn's little private investigation because David Kahn was, was sympathetic to the American Indian Movement, or AIM, which was a movement that aimed, no pun intended, to address social injustice issues with Native American populations. Jones was also privy to this movement and donated food and money to AIM as well. Well, Khan uh, eventually got some of the AIM leaders to meet with him, and he informed them that their relationship with Jones would harm their reputation and that he showed them all of his findings of abuse and scandal involving the People's Temple. But the AIM leaders wouldn't have it. They told Jones all about Khan's investigation. Jones panicked hard when he heard this news and sent Temple members to spy on Khan, his ex-wife, and their mutual friend, Larry Litke. The spies would hide under Khan's ex-wife's house and listen to her talk to Larry and David. FYI, even though they were divorced, they were good friends, concerned about the church's misdeeds. But the spies mixed up Larry's voice. They were convinced Larry was actually Michael Prokes, the PR manager for Jones and the Temple. Jones was dumbfounded by this news because he hadn't sent Prokes to meet with Khan, but his spies were sure of it. This fed into Jones' paranoia. Now his own right-hand guy was allegedly feeding info to one of his enemies. This was possibly the catalyst in forcing his decision to move the temple to Guyana. And so he did! Jones decided to move the temple to Guyana, a small South American country on the northern border of Brazil, in 1973. He contacted the Guyanese government about initially purchasing 25,000 acres of land for his temple commune. And with some help from the U.S. Embassy, wink wink, he was able to eventually purchase 3,852 acres of land in the northwest uh, Matthews Ridge area of Guyana. First members arrived in March 1974 and began the immense task of clearing the ground in jungle wilderness to establish their socialist paradise. They worked day and night to build their Jonestown. It was literally a giant stretch of untamed jungle, and these folks worked their asses off to turn it into a viable agricultural landscape. About 1,000 members followed Jones to this supposed utopia in July 1977. The next month, the Inside People's Temple article was published in the August 1st issue of New West Magazine. But perhaps it was too late. Jonestown was established. And, well, as you can probably imagine... Things were pretty much fucking terrible right from the beginning. Armed guards patrolled the compound and no one was allowed to leave. According to survivors' reports, they entered what was essentially a slave labor camp. They were required to work for 16 to 18 hours daily. They were forced to live in cramped quarters. They ate rice and bread. And if they were lucky, rancid meat. On top of all the physical and mental exhaustion, they were also forced to listen to Jones rant and preach over the camp light loudspeaker loudspeaker system daily and more often nightly there was a camp doctor uh president jonestown um dr lawrence shocked who was apparently known to perform painful suturing without anesthetic he also administered drugs and wink wink kept daily medical records of all the members the punishments were just as brutal as the living conditions breaking the rules or acts of disloyalty led to punishments including forced druggings, sensory isolation in an underground box, physical torture, and even public sexual rape and humiliation. Apparently, beatings and verbal abuse were commonplace. Only Jones's special armed guards, the Red Brigade, were treated well and fed decently. 
Not to mention, Jones' rampant drug use and mental health were worsening at a rapid pace. In 1978, he was informed he had a possible lung infection, which he announced to his followers as lung cancer, to gain sympathy. Jones was said to be abusing injectable Valium, Quaaludes, stimulants, and barbiturates. Uh, then there were Jones' white knights, a term, that's knights, N-I-G-H-T-S, so right. uh, uh, white knights, a term Jones used uh, and subsequently reported over the Jonestown loudspeaker system to mean a town-wide issue that needed resolving. These included rehearsals for mass suicide, which Jones considered a test of faith and loyalty. A tactic Jones had been employing for a while, especially with temple higher-ups. Previously in 1976, he made his higher-ups drink a glass of wine they were made to believe was poisoned as a test of loyalty. Jones used fear as a chief motive uh, to maintain control. Residents had little to no contact with the outside world or the USA in the remote Jonestown jungle. Thus, Jones would preach that the USA was truly their enemy and they were only safe here. According to Jones, concentration camps sprouted up, racist organizations patrolled all the borders, and again, nuclear war was right around the corner, and they were only safe in Jonestown. Now, one key incident happens that brings Jonestown to its fatal conclusion. But before we get to that incident, we gotta talk about the buildup and the key incident that caused the key incident. (laughs) Incidentally... My brain hurts trying to keep up with all this, Andy. (laughs) That's surprising. Tim Stone, no relation, custody battle, to retrieve his son from Jim Jones' encampment directly influenced Congressman Leo Ryan's visit to Jonestown, which, as we'll describe, caused its fateful end. There will be more on Ryan later, but back to Tim Stone. Stone got heavily involved in the church in the early 1970s, providing legal aid to the temple and helping to establish its transition from sort of this quasi-religious organization into a full-blown socialist movement, his wife, Grace, was also part of the church. On February 6th, 1972, just two weeks after Tim's son, John, was born, Stone signed an affidavit in which he stated that Jim Jones was John's father. This affidavit, quote, bound the child to Jones and the church for life. Fast forward to Scooch and Tim's wife, Grace, had grown to dislike the church. Her son, John, was forced to be raised communally, so she was disconnected from him. She was berated by church members for denying that Jim Jones was the child's biological father and watched John get paddled by other temple members in their fucked up disciplinary practices. Oh, and not to mention, Jones would constantly call her husband a homosexual, Jones would wave a gun in Grace's face, threatening to shoot her if she fell asleep. And to top it all off, she watched church members beat a 40-year-old woman who claimed, quote, the church turned members into robots. Whew. So, yeah, you could say she had it with this cult. Very fair. Uh, Grace and another temple member fled the church together in 1976. Important distinction here, bunk funkers. Tim, her husband, remained in the church. At this point in 1977, the church had already moved to Guyana. Grace was able to get her son to flee with her. Despite not wanting to put... She was unable. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, unable. Whoops. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's important an important know, part. Yeah. Uh, so the church had already moved to Guyana. Grace was unable to get her son to flee with her. Uh, despite not wanting to put John's life in danger, Grace began to fight for custody of him almost immediately. In 1977, Grace threatened to divorce Tim if he didn't do something about this. 
Jones, uh, fearing possible legal action against Stone would make the, you know, custody dispute public and, you know, shed light on all the illegal messed up stuff he was doing in Jonestown. Well, he sent Tim to come stay in Jonestown because Tim was originally still in California. Mm -hmm. While staying there, Tim was spied on by other temple members. And within a year, well, he had had it and he left the church too. Stone returned to San Francisco and joined Grace in the custody battle. When Stone defected, he became Jones's chief antagonist, and Jones encouraged his Jonestown residents to write detailed, humiliating fantasies about killing Tim Stone. Back in San Francisco, Stone and other relatives of Jonestown residents uh, began to meet frequently, calling themselves the Concerned Relatives. They shared details... <laughs> Not unlike the Avengers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. It's a terrible situation, but it's a pretty friggin' lame name. Like, why do they have to give themselves a name? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. It was the 70s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they shared details of their encounters with the temple, interviewed temple defectors, and reviewed shortwave radio transcript of communications between Jonestown and the temple's San Francisco headquarters. Temple surveillance teams, aware of these meetings, checked license plates in front of their meeting places to determine the identity of these so-called enemies. Joe or stones rather uh, involvement in the group was crucial given his knowledge of the higher up inner workings of the church and his legal background. He spearheaded the letter writing campaigns to the secretary of state, U S Congress and the government of Guyana. Finally, after pressing for legal action in the United States in November, 1977, an order was issued in a San Francisco court granting custody of John to his mother, Grace. The court order meant that Jones could not return to the United States without facing contempt proceedings for failing to turn over the child. Eventually, Stone's letter writing and custody battle caught the eye of Congressman Leo Ryan, who, with the concerned relatives, including the Stones, and a few reporters from various news organizations, would travel to Guyana on November 14, 1978, to investigate Jonestown for themselves and ensure the safety of their loved ones. Ryan was known for his hard-hitting investigative journalism. Uh, man was a grade-A primo motherfucking sleuth. God damn, he was such a fucking good sleuth. He was good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In 1970, using a pseudonym, Ryan had himself arrested, detained, and strip-searched to investigate conditions in California's prisons. He stayed for 10 days as an inmate at Folsom State Prison while presiding as chairman on the assembly committee that oversaw prison reform. Oh, hell yeah, baby. That's some fucking sleuthing. Oh, yeah. The Ryan delegation arrived by plane in the Guyana capital of Georgetown, which was 150 miles away from Jonestown. Um, but, you know, they were detained there in the capital and not allowed to visit Jonestown. So they stayed for three days, and on November 17th, Jones summoned People's Temple lawyer Charles Gary to Georgetown to help facilitate Congressman Ryan's visit and delegation. But then, when Gary arrived, Jones suddenly backtracked. But then, after some more negotiating between Gary, Jones, and Ryan's, Jones was back on! Ooh. He's known for making level-headed decisions. A roller coaster. Yeah. The Ryan delegation was allowed to visit. Congressman Ryan chartered a plane that day from jo from Georgetown to Jonestown to transport the relatives and journalists to investigate. So, as I said, Jonestown was 150 miles from Georgetown, secluded deep in the jungle wilderness. 
and the plane had to stop at a makeshift airstrip five miles away from camp at Port Kaituma. But eventually, the Ryan delegation made it to Jonestown. While there, the people of Jonestown and Jones himself were on high alert, making sure to put on a show that everything was what they said it was, a jungle paradise, a socialist utopia. But all wasn't what it seemed. Some members slipped notes to the journalists and Ryan in secret, saying they were in danger for their lives and wanted to leave. Obviously, the Ryan delegation was concerned, but they ended up staying the night. The next day, on the 18th, a number of residents, about a dozen, including whole families, came forward and said they would like to leave with Congressman Ryan. Jones freaked out a bit about this and questioned each defector privately, but eventually they were allowed to leave. Jones was described as depressed and crestfallen after this, saying these defectors would be the undoing of their entire cause. Fifteen defectors, along with the journalists and relatives, were gathered in trucks set to leave the camp. But Congressman Ryan wanted to stay behind to help arbitrate another family dispute on, you know, defecting. Again, the dude's a fucking sleuth. Right. Ryan had actually intended to stay there another night, but suddenly he was attacked by a Jonestown member wielding a knife. Luckily, you know, the attack failed, uh, but Ryan... He was convinced hey, uh, that he should not be staying in Jonestown another day. He's not a dummy. Yeah, and he needed to leave with the other defectors, so he boarded the truck with them. They arrived at the airstrip at Port Kaituma, and as the defectors were boarding the plane, a tractor full of men from Jonestown arrived. Two planes were needed to uh, transport everyone. Four defectors boarded a small Cessna airplane, while Ryan, the journalist's, and the rest of the defectors boarded a larger twin-engine passenger plane. One of the four defectors on the smaller Cessna was actually a high-ranking member named Larry Layton, posing as a defector. (coughs) Excuse me. I'll cut that out. Don't worry. He managed to join the defectors leaving Jonestown, despite them, you know, trying to alert the congressman that Larry was undoubtedly a spy and would never actually really defect, but turns out they should have listened because they were right. Suddenly, Layton pulled out a handgun and started blasting. He wounded several of the members inside the Cessna before he was subdued. At the same time, the Jonestown members on the tractor opened fire on the larger passenger plane, killing Congressman Ryan, three journalists, and one defector, and wounding nine others. Those who managed to survive the shootings ran into the surrounding jungle around the airstrip. The Jonestown killers then walked up to the body of Congressman Ryan and the others they had killed and shot them multiple times at point-blank range as if to ensure the job was done before getting back on the tractor and returning to Jonestown. Almost immediately after Ryan's delegation and the defectors left, Jones ordered his revenge. He got on the loudspeaker and called a white knight rally, but this time it was real. He ordered their mass suicide. Jones delivered his infamous death tapes while cyanide, tranquilizers, and other sedatives were mixed with flavor aid, which is commonly mistaken as Kool-Aid. The following are actual audio clips taken from the infamous death tapes recorded live at Jonestown. They can be disturbing and listener discretion is advised. If you would like to skip past the audio clip segment, Please fast forward ahead to 1 hour, 11 minutes, and 7 seconds. Because they stole their children. 
and we, we are sitting here waiting on a powder keg. I don't think this is what we want to do with our babies. I don't think that's what we had in mind to do with our babies. It was said by the greatest of prophets from time immemorial, no man lay, takes my life from me, I lay my life down. So to, to sit here and wait for the catastrophe that's going to happen on that airplane, it's going to be a catastrophe. Almost happened here. Almost happened. The congressman was nearly killed here. But you can't steal people's children. You can't take off with people's children without expecting a violent reaction. And that's not so unfamiliar to us either. If we, even if we were Judeo-Christian, if we weren't communists, the world, the kingdom, suffers violence, and the violence shall take it by force. If we can't live in peace, then let us die in peace. Because we are not committing suicide. It's a revolutionary act. We can't go back. They won't leave us alone. They're now going back to tell more lies, which means more congressmen. And there's no way, no way we can survive. Hmm? I think that there were too few who left for 1,200 people to give them their lives for those people that left. You know how many left? Hmm, 20 odd. That's, that's a small... 20 odd. Com 20 compared odd. Compared to what's here. 20 odd. But what's going to happen when they don't leave? I hope that they could leave, but what's going to happen when they, when they don't leave? You mean the people here? Yeah, what's going to happen to us when they don't leave, when they get on the plane and the plane goes down? I don't think it'll go down. You don't think it'll go down? I, I wish I could tell you you were right, but I'm right. There's one man there who blames, and rightfully so, Debbie Blakey for the murder, for the murder of his mother, and he'll, sh he'll stop that pilot by any means necessary. Life has no meaning. I'm the best friend you'll ever have. Once I have to pay, I'm standing with you, Jara. I'm standing with those people. They're part of me. I can detach myself. My attorney says detach myself. No, 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 no. I never detached myself from any of your troubles. I've always taken your troubles right on my shoulders. And I'm not going to change that now. It's too late. I've been running too long. I'm not going to change now. Maybe the next time you get to go to Russia, the next time around. This is what I'm talking about now is in the dispensation of judgment. This is a revolutionary, this is a revolutionary suicide council. I'm not talking about self-destruction. Self I'm talking about what we have no other road. I will take your, your call, we will put it to the Russians, and I can tell you the answer now because I'm a prophet. Call the Russians and tell them to see if they'll take us. I said I'm afraid to die. I don't By think no you means. are. I don't think you are. But uh, I look at our babies and I think they deserve I, to live. I agree. You know? They des but also they deserve, what's more, they deserve peace. We all came here for peace. And know? we've have we had it? No. I tried to give it to you. I've laid down my life practically. I've practically died every day to give you peace. And you still not had any peace. You look better than I've seen you in a long while. But it's still not the kind of peace that I want to give to go. If you tell us we have to give our lives now, we're ready. I'm pretty sure all the rest of the brothers are with me.
long months I've tried to keep this thing from happening, but I now see it's the will, it's the will of sovereign being that this happened to us. That we lay down our lives in protest against what's being done. That we lay down our lives to protest in what's being done. Don't let this. Take Dwyer on down to the, the East House. Take Dwyer. Everybody be quiet, please. Get Dwyer out of here before something happens to him. Dwyer? I'm not talking about you, Jara. I said Dwyer. Ain't nobody gonna take you, Jara. I'm not letting them take you, Jara. The shooters from the airstrip returned and let Jones know what had happened. Jones exclaimed, quote, It's all over. The congressman has been murdered. Immediately, Jones ordered the children to die first, giving them shots or drinks laced with the cyanide concoction, all while he continued to preach from his loudspeaker. The sounds of their screams can be heard over the archived recordings. Then the adults, those who refused, were forced or shot. The congressman has been murdered. The Red Brigade showed them justice. The congressman's dead. Please get us the medication. It's simple. It's simple. There's no convulsions with it. It's just simple. Just please get it. Before it's too late, the GDF will be here. I tell you, get moving. Get moving. Get moving. Yeah. Don't be afraid to die. If, you, if these people land out here, they'll, they'll torture some of our children here. They'll torture our people. They'll torture our seniors. We cannot have this. Are you going to separate yourself from whoever shot the congressman? I don't know who shot him. as much of this world as you're going to get. Let's just be done with it. Let's be done with the agony of it. It's far, far harder to have to watch you every day die slowly. And from the time you're a child to the time you get gray, you're dying. It's honest, and I'm sure that they'll, they'll pay for it. They'll, they'll pay for it. This is a revolutionary suicide. This is not a self-destructive suicide. So they'll pay for this. They brought this upon us. And they'll pay for that. I leave that destiny to them. wants to go with their child has a right to go with their child. I think it's humane. I want to go, I want to see you go though. I, they can take me and do with me whatever they want to do. I want to see you go. I don't want to see you go through this hell no more. No more, no more, no more. I would respect die with a degree of dignity. Lay down your life with dignity. Don't lay down with tears and agony. There's nothing to death, it's like Max said, it's just stepping over into another plane. Don't, don't be this way. Stop this hysterics. This is not the way for people who are socialist or communists to die. No way for us to die. We must die with some dignity. 909 people died in the camp, 605 adults, 304 children. Jim Jones died that day too. But not of the cyanide he forced his congregation to consume, but by a gunshot wound to the head. A few members did manage to survive. Some fled into the jungle, others hid. 
Larry Layton was arrested but was acquitted by a Guyanese court under the defense that he was brainwashed, but he was immediately arrested by state marshals on his flight back to the U.S. Larry was tried twice on four charges related to the shootings, including conspiracy to kill a congressman. He wound up with a sentence of 20 years. He was released from federal prison in April of 2002. Tim and Grace Stone never got to see John again. They were unfortunately forced to stay in Georgetown while the Ryan delegation visited Jonestown. On the infamous death tape, Jones can be heard ranting about Stone. He's responsible for it. He brought these people to us. He and Deanna Myrtle. The people in San Francisco will not, not be idle over this. They'll not take our death in vain, you know. See that Stone does not get by with his infamy. With his infamy. He has done the thing he wanted to do. Have us destroyed. Jonestown resulted in the largest single loss of American civilian life in a deliberate act until September 11th, 2001. Obviously, such a tragic loss of life shocked the U.S. and the world. But not all. Whenever there is a tragic event, conspiracy theorists are quick to jump in to fill the missing gaps with information. Just how could over 900 people be convinced to go along with a mass suicide? How could mothers be convinced to murder their children? There are definite gaps in the so-called official story of Jonestown. From CIA connections, the government handling of the corpses, and classified information, many conspiracy theorists attempt to address these gaps. But do any of them hold up? Bunkfunkers, we'll serve you the whole enchilada, but that's for you to decide. The main conclusion that many theorists make is that this was no mass suicide. It was a mass murder. The CIA had full knowledge of what was going on at Jonestown and even helped conduct its massacre. It should be said that in 1980, the House Select Committee on Intelligence determined that the CIA had no involvement with People's Temple and had no advance warning of the mass murder-suicide. A year earlier, the House Foreign Affairs Committee concluded that Jones, quote, suffered extreme paranoia. The 782-page report also recommended that more studies be done of cults, but the committee kept more than 5,000 pages secret. This was said to be done to keep sources sensitive information private. But let's backtrack a bit here. What happened after that tragic mass death of the residents at Jonestown? Let's speak about how the bodies were handled. There was some obvious mishandling of the dead bodies at the Jonestown camp. The first headlines in the U.S. read that 400 people had died and 700 had escaped into the jungle. And by most accounts, about uh, 1,100 people were at Jonestown. There were 809 adults found, and there were reports of 300 children. The original body count done by the Guyanese was 408, and this figure was initially agreed to by the U.S. Army authorities on site. However, over the next few days, the reports... Uh, the news reported that the body counts began to rise. A week later, the new total dead was 913, and 16 survivors were reported to have returned to the U.S., but that doesn't really add up to 1,100, so where were the others? So why the discrepancy in the body count? Well, the first Americans, uh, first the Americans said the Guyanese couldn't count correctly, which honestly is a pretty rude thing to say to the people who were helping you walk this massive field of dead bodies literally poking holes in the corpses so that they wouldn't explode from the hot sun, baking them, literally. But hey, what do I know? 
I'm a rude dude with a tude too. Yeah, I mean, that's why you're wearing that backwards ball cap and your arms are folded. <laughs> then the U.S. said they missed seeing a pile of bodies at the back of the pavilion. This pavilion was the size of a small house, and the U.S. had been at the scene for days, but okay. Finally, the U.S. claimed the real reason the amount of dead rose so rapidly is because bodies had fallen on top of other bodies, covering them and making it hard to get an accurate count. Needless to say, this waffling drove theorists into a frenzy. And when they get into a frenzy, they do what any person would do, conduct death arithmetic. So assuming what the U.S. says is true, 408 bodies were discovered on the first day. That means in order to add up to the 913 official number, those 408 bodies would have to be laying on top of and covering 505 other bodies. Then we also have to assume that the Guyanese and Americans who were tasked with this gruesome job of poking holes in the corpses also missed a bunch of bodies lying underneath other bodies. On top of all this, none of the aerial photographs and disturbing close-up shots of the Jonestown Massacre show even one body lying underneath another. They do, however, show a large number of the bodies laid out, almost in rows, face down. Well, even more fucked up, but, uh, I mean, like in a figurative way, not like a poking holes in dead bodies way, is that almost all the relatives were not allowed to uh, see the remains of their deceased loved ones. At the scene of the massacre, bodies were stripped of identification, including medical risk tags. The U.S. brought in 16 huge C-131 cargo planes, and these big honking skybergs, they could carry tanks, trucks, troops, boxes, tons of crap, all in one go. But allegedly, the U.S. could only fit 36 caskets in each one. Operations in the U.S.-Vietnam War demonstrated that the U.S. military was capable of transporting hundreds of bodies in a very short period of time. But, well, for some reason, Jonestown took nearly a week to bring back all of the dead. And by this point, most of it was centered around the end of the week. And at that point, most of the bodies had begun to rot in the heat. So conducting autopsies were nearly impossible. Allegedly, at one point, the remains of 183 people were brought in just 82 caskets. Only 587 bodies in total have actually been identified. Most of the children remain unidentified. But uh, where the U.S. bungled this operation, a Guyanese doctor named Dr. Mutu was able to conduct many inspections and autopsies within hours of the massacre. Dr. Mutu was a top Guyanese uh, pathologist, re uh, refusing the assistance of U.S. pathologists, he accompanied the teams that counted the dead, examined the bodies, and worked to identify the deceased. He came to a very different conclusion compared to the Kool-Aid mass suicide being reported on in the U.S. media. See, cyanide blocks the messages from the brain to the muscles by changing body chemistry in the central nervous system. Things like breathing, your heartbeat, all get mixed signals, causing you to die. It's gruesome and painful. One of the trademarks is, due to the mixed signals, your muscles begin to spasm and you flail, twist, and contort. Dr. Mutu found little evidence of this in the dead at Jonestown. Limbs were limp and relaxed. No faces displayed the common cyanide rictus, a disturbing grin caused by the muscle contortion. Dr. Mutu found fresh needle marks in the backs of 80 to 90% of the victims he inspected. Others appeared to be shot or strangled. The gun that reportedly shot Jim Jones was lying nearly 200 feet away from his body and was likely not a weapon, a suicide weapon. 
As chief medical examiner, Mutu's testimony to the Guyanese grand jury investigating Jonestown led to their conclusion that all but three of the people who were murdered, all but three of the people were murdered by persons unknown. Only two had committed suicide, they said. Allegedly, several pictures show the gunshot wounds on the bodies as well. Well, people felt this was all pretty sus right off the bat. And uh, what covert government organization is to blame when you mix suspicious deaths, druggings, and various secluded black sites? Oh, oh, I know. It's the U.S. Geological Survey. Those bastards are rock hard. Rock hard for murder. Oh, sweet, 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 simple, simple, supple Andy. While we all know the U.S. Geological Survey has an unquenchable bloodlust, but it's for environmental hazards. Oh. oh, Andy, the government agency we're talking about is the CIA, baby. Oh, makes sense. Common mix-up. Within weeks of the Jonestown massacre, political activist Dick Gregory claimed that the CIA and FBI forces killed the people in Jonestown in order to use their bodies to smuggle heroin into the U.S. Additionally, Joe Holsinger, Congressman Leo Ryan's legislative assistant, testified before the House Foreign Affairs Subcommittee on international operations in 1980 that the CIA had a covert operation in Guyana. A few years after the massacre, the five children of Leo Ryan filed a $3 million lawsuit against the U.S. State Department, alleging that the State Department and the CIA were not were well aware of the dangers of Ryan's mission and possess vital information about the dangers of Jonestown. But all this information was withheld from Ryan. A report dated the 20th of July, 1980, by Informed Services Company, notes uh, connections between the CIA and Jim Jones, as well as CIA interest in Guyana politics. So obviously, whew, there was some interest in pending this on the CIA. I mean, hell, even the fucking Church of Scientology blamed Jonestown for the CIA. They were claiming back in 1979 that the CIA had a presence in Jonestown. And in fact, the whole thing was a setup to assassinate Congressman Ryan, because his support for legislation limiting the CIA's influence. Dude, you know you messed up when even the Church of Scientology thinks your shit is whack, Jack. Andy, you talk weird. <laughs> yeah, I bumped my head. But is there any basis to these claims? Were there any CIA connections to Jonestown or Jones himself? Two names are frequently mentioned as connections between Jonestown and the CIA. Dan Mitrioni and Richard Dwyer. Dan Mitrioni and Jim Jones go way back. Mitrioni was a police officer in Indiana when Jones was still a street urchin roaming the streets and honing his preaching skills. But then Mitrioni moved on to the CIA-financed International Police Academy, where he was trained in counterinsurgency and torture techniques from around the world. Allegedly, Jones used his connection to Mitrioni to finance his trip to Brazil back in the 1960s. I mean, how exactly did this family of meager means afford to move to Brazil for almost two years? Mitrioni was allegedly the one to connect Jones to the CIA. While in Brazil, Jones actually assisted in covert CIA operations due to his communist knowledge, connections, and influence while under the cover of a preacher trying to spread the good old Christian faith. Allegedly, Jones' disguise was pretty bad as most of his Brazilian neighbors distrusted him and knew he was a CIA shill. That's when the family made the move to Belo Horizonte, the site of the CIA headquarters in Brazil. Mitrioni was there as well as uh, as well training foreign police forces in torture and assassination techniques. Mitrioni was later kidnapped by insurgents, interrogated, and killed. 
Jones, however, was successful and returned back to the States with some cash from his work, which he used to fund the People's Temple's move to California. Richard Dwyer has an actual connection to Jonestown uh, because he was there during the massacre. Depending on what you believe. Mm -hmm. In 1968, an East German author with the alleged help of the KGB wrote a book titled Who's Who in the CIA? Uh, funnily enough, the CIA shot back writing a book called Who's Who in the KGB? They had a little book war going on. <laughs> anyway. The real Cold War. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this book purported to identify 3,000 covert CIA agents. and One of the agents listed was Richard Dwyer. Dwyer was deputy chief of mission of the U.S. Embassy to Guyana at the time of Jonestown's residency there. Despite the strong accusations and growing suspicions about the temple while in San Francisco, the U.S. Embassy gave full support of Jonestown to move to Guyana. The U.S. Embassy in Guyana allegedly shared an office space with the CIA site in Georgetown as well, adding to the theory that Dwyer was somehow connected to all this and secretly a CIA agent. When quizzed directly about his alleged CIA involvement, Dwyer responded, no comment. Jones could be heard on the infamous death tape saying, take Dwyer down to the East House. And a short time later, Jones says, get Dwyer out of here before something happens to him. However, according to numerous witnesses, including some of the journalists who were attacked by the Red Brigade at uh, the airstrip, uh, Dwyer was with them at the airstrip and was shot in the buttocks by the brigade. Dwyer stayed with the other survivors during the night at the airstrip after the attack. Some believe that Jones himself was a CIA asset, helping facilitate one of their most devious operations, Project MK Ultra. OG bunk funkers will know, but the MK Ultra program was a series of studies in mind control, behavior modification, and obscure techniques of assassination that the CIA had begun in the late 1940s. Among the subjects studied were hypnosis, sensory and sleep deprivation, electroshock, ESP, lobotomy, subliminal projection, sleep teaching, and methods to artificially induce cancer and heart failure. Every conceivable mind-altering drug was investigated and some new ones were developed. MKUltra was the topic of our very first episode. You should check it out if you haven't already. Now, MKUltra was a real program. There's no conspiracy there. The CIA did indeed conduct the experiments we listed. The debate comes in whether the program ever actually ended. It allegedly ended in 1973 after a government investigation into the legality, morality, efficacy of the program. Theorists believe that Jones was brought into the CIA through his connection to Mitrioni to help with MKUltra. During the early 60s, when Jones was in Brazil, he was allegedly helping the CIA in their effort to research mind control. Jones was briefed on MKUltra and took advantage of the locale to study voodoo and the African religion Makumba, as well as the faith-healing preacher, David Martin de Miranda, who exhibited extraordinary control over his followers. Being an expert in faith-healing stunts and a preacher who amassed a following of his own, Jones was no slouch when it came to exerting influence and control over others. In hindsight, this is even more apparent. But before Brazil, Jones allegedly was a CIA agent that helped in the Bay of Pigs invasion. The, the, the Cuban one, not the one where Andy's ancestral homeland invaded the kingdom of baby back ribs. And we won. I'm now the Prince of Ribs. <laughs> anyway. It's sort of like Prince of Tides, but more barbecue sauce. <laughs> yeah, Stickier. 
the Bay of Pigs invasion, and he Jones allegedly also helped to secure the Guyanese independence from Britain. So the theory goes that the CIA wanted the Russians to take over Cuba. They wanted to allow them to, so that they could control the playing field, so to speak, and gain knowledge of what the Russians had as far as tech. The CIA were even the ones to spread the pop propaganda that Castro and the Cubans were the enemies of the U.S. Even President Kennedy was supposedly duped. Castro was allegedly just a Hollywood actor and agents of theirs who they put in power. Jim Jones's role in all this was as, as a uh, middle manager, using his knowledge of communism to round up slash gain intel on Castro's enemies so that the CIA could ensure total control of the situation. Jim Jones rounded up all the CIA's enemies and sent them and their cause to the grave at the Bay of Pigs. The CIA needed to protect Brazil from communist takeover, but the key to that was protecting British Guyana, its neighboring country. With the uh, okay from British intelligence, the CIA immediately set out to support the only political opponent of the communist government, the right-wing fascist Forbes Burnham. Jim Jones was called upon to help instigate an anti-communist sentiment. He trained rebels to start race riots and labor strikes, and Jones also worked as an excellent conduit for filtering CIA money into their covert cause. He had told his Indianapolis congregation that his purpose in South America was to feed the poor. He did open his home to feed, the, uh, to feed and house a number of Guyanese, but most of the recipients were the dissidents that had been uh, instructed to organize. Jones' immediate supervisor in the coup was Richard Welk, the CIA station chief in Georgetown. And eventually, the communist government fell, and Burnham's government assumed power and declared independence from Britain in 1966. Burnham never forgot the debt he owed to Jim Jones, and soon after Guyana's Independence Day, he traveled to Ukiah, California, to visit the preacher who would help destroy his political opposition. And that brings us back to MKUltra. The daily notes and drug records kept by Jonestown physician Dr. Larry Schacht is what most theorists cite as suspicious evidence toward MKUltra. A huge portion of MKUltra was the intense study of many drug combinations with the end goal of population and mind control. Guyanese troops allegedly found massive caches of drugs at Jonestown. One footlocker contained 11,000 doses of Thorazine, a dangerous tranquilizer. Drugs used in the testing for MKUltra were found in abundance, including sodium pentothal, a truth serum, uh, chloral hydrate, a hypnotic, demerol, uh, tallium, confuses thinking, and many others. These combined with the stressful work camp environment and isolation techniques all point to brainwashing and torture techniques that MKUltra would have been known to test out. This also allegedly explains the bungling of the autopsy reports and why medical tags were removed from the bodies. In the end, theorists believe Jones was dealt a swift bullet to the skull to ensure the true nature of the massacre remained hidden forever. But their discrepancies with the handling of the bodies, the CIA connections, and MKUltra cover-up ultimately leads many to conclude that Jonestown was no suicide. It was a murder. A murder to cover up the results of a sickly experiment. The experiment of Jonestown. Experiment or not, Jonestown was a tragic loss of life. Their story remains one of the darkest events in U.S. history. Who's to blame for the massacre? Was Jones a CIA puppet, or was he just a mad preacher dishing out a deadly sermon to his flock? Did the CIA conduct a MKUltra mind experiment at the site? I suppose the real theory to ponder is this. What's easier to believe, bunk funkers? 
that seemingly ordinary humans are capable of seemingly extraordinary evil, that outside forces, faceless government agencies, are willing to disrupt our livelihood. How strongly do you value the moral order of our reality? Welcome back, listeners. That was our research of Jonestown. Oh, Amen. Oh, Amen. Uh, you don't want to come to the Church of Andean Art. <laughs> if you do, bring your tithes. Because we need cash. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Art. Oof. Um, geez, this is a big one, huh? You know, I already was somewhat familiar with Jonestown. I think everybody kind of is. And I think the worst- Drinking the Kool-Aid. That's what spawned it. Yeah, that's where it comes from. And real quick, can we give it up to Kool-Aid? Drinking the Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid has become synonymous with cult tropes in the media, and yet they still- Dominate the flavored fruit drink market. Props. Fuck Flavor Aid. Flavor Aid. Kool Aid, baby. I don't even know where to buy Flavor Aid. Yeah. Kool Aid, baby. Doesn't matter that they're synonymous with cults and drinking cyanide. Yeah. They dominate their shit. And it's all because of that commercial. Oh, yeah. Just crashing through the wall and shit. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Yep. Props to Kool-Aid. Yeah, Kool-Aid. You know, if you're looking for a podcast to sponsor. <laughs> yeah. We got it right here, baby. Right here, baby. I was not allowed to drink you very much as a kid. <laughs> um, Parents said I had too much sugar. Uh, as a kid, I probably had Kool-Aid every day. That was the uh, my babysitter. Oh, yeah? She w- would make Kool-Aid in the afternoon sometimes, you know, and then nice. that would be... You could have like a glass or two. I mean, I had Capri Sun. Oh, that's. Yeah. I mean, it's different. Kool Aid's a much better product. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, some people would say, you know, there's not much difference when it comes to sugar content. Actually, I we I was occasionally allowed to get those Kool Aid jammers. Okay, remember yeah. the ones, the plastic ones mm-hmm. with the little top you had to bite off. Right. Those things fucking ruled. I mean. You just twist the top off. Yeah, but there was that little bit of juice that would hang out in that top part. Yeah, I mean, you just suck on it. Suck it. Yeah. I mean, I... uh, Suck it. You know, I started out as Squeeze-It's kid, uh, which I don't know if Squeeze-It's... What is it, like ketchup? Yeah, just (laughs) bottles of... I would just eat ketchup. Uh, But I started out as Squeeze-It's kid, and so Kool-Aid Jammers came along a little bit later. Um, But I was more of an OG Squeeze-It's kind of person, but when Squeeze-It's died out i think it died out were squeeze it's those like ones that just look like little barrels and they would have the aluminum top no oh okay never mind. wait little barrels with an aluminum top yeah um that's ringing a bell for me uh but i don't think that was that wasn't a that wasn't a squeeze it 
I'm gonna I'm gonna show you these motherfuckers. You'd be like, oh shit, I fucking know those guys. Yeah, I'm sure I've hit this. Oh yeah, yeah, Hugs, yeah. But it wasn't necessarily that brand, but they look like that. Yeah, I I know that. Yeah, um, yeah, I used to drink those too. This thing's fucking ruled. Yeah, it wasn't called Hug. Yeah, it was just like a generic. Yeah, thing. I probably said generic. Um, so you were familiar with Jonestown. I think a lot of people were. It's a story that a lot of people know. Um, it's, it's usually, I mean, pretty much up until I started really digging into this research, Andy, it's like, yeah, it was a mass suicide, but I think you can, uh, I don't know. Um, that's the debate, I guess. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think that. I think that calling it a mass suicide, no matter what you believe, is misleading. Yeah. Because I think it's wrong to make the suggestion that everyone who died at Jonestown did so of their own volition in their own right mind and made a sound decision to end their life that was in keeping with their beliefs. All 1,000 of those people were brainwashed is essentially what... And it's like... I don't know. Yeah. Are kids capable of that? I mean, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, do we honestly think they that, don't know what they're taking? Do we honestly think that children wanted to die? Yeah. They didn't know what they were taking. They yeah. were just given it. And, you know, I think that uh, it's pretty well established that there was more than just drinking some drug concoction. Yes. That the drugs were probably meant to... Uh, disorient and confuse people so that they could be systematically murdered by uh, the guards who in turn murdered each other or ran off in the jungle or whatever. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. But I think that it's pretty well established. And so to me, I think I think it should probably should probably be called a mass murder rather than a mass suicide. Yeah. I think that's more fair. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh yeah, it, a massacre um yeah. something like that. So and that's really where the conspiracy theorists kind of draw the line is they they hear mass suicide and they go uh uh there's right. no way. Um it's a mass murder and then they kind of draw the line as they and it's almost gets into a philosophical argument I right. guess that we can kind of get into is that I think for many theorists they surmise that it's easier to believe that a faceless entity would do this harm to people than a sole human being with an evil purpose. It disrupts the moral order of our reality that someone who you think is like your neighbor, Mm -hmm. you know, could be capable of such evil things. I mean, um, the famously, you know, BTK killer, right? Like mm-hmm. was a dad, mm-hmm. regular dad for a long time, mm-hmm. killed a bunch of people, then stopped. Yeah. Like oh. most dads <laughs> for a long time, he stopped and then it was found out what he did. I think he did some more or something, but he was like, yeah, he stopped for a long time. Then started Boy Scouts up again. leader. But he's just somebody's dad. You his know? thing was taunting the media, and that's yes. what caught him is that he sent like a diskette uh, to one of the Kansas City newspapers, which they were able to trace back to his church computer. Right. 
uh, which is ultimately what led to him being arrested. But I don't know. I think it's like that's sort of the situation here mm-hmm. with Jonestown, right? It's like, let's mm-hmm. fill in the gaps. Oh, evil entity that actually fucking caused all this, mm-hmm. not one of our own. Mm-hmm. Other humans aren't actually, you know, but I don't know. What do you think? Um, I'll say that I fully believe that most institutions don't give a crap about individuals. So the CIA included. Yeah. That I don't think that. Especially the U.S. Geological Survey. <laughs> I mean, they're top on the list. Um, but the CIA, probably a close second. Yeah. I mean, but it's most institutions, right? Like, rarely do institutions care about an individual. Rarely does that matter to them. And I think that our government is not different in that sense that I don't think that the government cares about the life of of one individual person. That said, I think that normal people, quote unquote normal people, regular folk, are totally capable of this stuff. And I think that that more often than not is the case that there's not that Jim Jones wasn't um, didn't nobody got to him that he just he had an idea. He had uh, an upbringing that everything that happens to Jim Jones leads him to this point. And then you throw in, you know, we said it, his his failing mental health. Rampant drug use. I mean, the guy was like doing Hitler levels of drugs. I mean, (laughs) Hitler levels of drugs. That's a lot of drugs he was doing. And uh, it's like, I don't know. I I just, as his, his mental state clearly deteriorates throughout. And it's obvious that he was connected to, I think people sometimes think like, oh, this is like a, a, a spiritual man gone astray and people question how did that happen and that's how you end up with stuff like this but it's like clearly he was in it more for the attention the fame he liked he liked people holding him in high regard he liked money and access he liked controlling people i mean everything about it just it leads to like jonestown is like the as far down i think as you can push the pedal to the metal but like, I don't think it's so unreasonable to believe that Jim Jones could have orchestrated this horrible thing all by himself. Obviously, he had to get other people to buy in to help him out. But how do you get to that place to begin with? You're charismatic. You're good at convincing people to do things for you. Like He, he was very good at it. Yeah. I mean, I think he a lot of times, was, you know, he yeah. had a strong jawline. He was like kind of a handsome guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was good at. He's a great orator. Yeah. You know, he had great skills and he was good at lying. Right. Faith healing. Yeah. (laughs) This whole thing was built on lies. Yeah. That being said, something does feel off about the whole thing to me. There's Mm -hmm. certain just like, it seems like everywhere, uh, you know, it's like everywhere Jones was and everywhere Jones ends up, it's like, it also happens to be like, well, you know, there's some CIA stuff going on in there, right? Like, he's in San Francisco in the 60s. 
Obviously, the spot of many an MKUltra experiment. It's everywhere. Tons of drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, everywhere he goes, there's little MKUltra CAA fragments, right? To me, it's a little sus that he just gets up and goes to Latin America on a whim. Now, you might sit there and say, like, oh, well, you know, he's crazy, but, like, I don't know. I don't. I don't see Jones as a crazy person. I see him as like crazy is a little bit too broad, right? Like it's pejorative, but it can also be good. Like if you're mad money, Jim Cramer, you're crazy, but in a different kind of way, like in a good way, mad money, Jim Cramer crazy about finding you the best deals on stocks and shit, right? (laughs) Saving money. Oh yeah. Uh, Financial advice. Yeah. Jim Cramer also has like admitted on the air to like doing illegal things. Really? Yeah. Like oh, in order, like him. as when he was a hedge fund manager, but checks out. I mean, check it out on Wikipedia. He's crazy. Check He's it bad out. money. He's mad. Yeah. But like Jones to me is like a manipulator. He's cunning, evil. He's paranoid. And he is putting his hands down his pants as I speak. Um, But like, I don't know. Do you don't think that does that not like weird you out that he's just like, oh, I'm going to pick up my life and go to Latin America. Leave this entire church. I just want to help the poor down there. It's like, did you? Like, what was actually going on down there? Oh, We know that there's like CAA black sites down there. That's like a common tactic. Art, you've played right into my hand. Oh boy, here you go with your Occam's razor. I'm going to kill you with your own weapon. Uh, (laughs) You said it. Jones is a paranoid person. Yeah. He's an expert liar. He saw this. He was, he has a prophetic dream about uh, nuclear annihilation in the Midwest. I mean, according to him. Yeah. But isn't it? But he's not the most reliable guy. Well, yeah. Nobody is in this whole thing is what I'm saying. Like, where's the truth begin and the lies end? Uh, Sure. Let's say, let's say he's looking at this list. Uh, of safest places to wait out uh, a nuclear strike. It just happens that two of those are two of the places he ended up. You know, the top of the list is Belo Horizonte. Uh, he's a paranoid person. Is it so strange to think that he would get obsessed with this and think that he has to move there? But then rather than like let the congregation in on the fact that he thinks that they're all going to die in a nuclear incident, that... You know, oh, I'm just going to feed the poor. Like when really he's trying to, behind their back, establish a whole new church. That way he and his family can be safe. And then if they die, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I can see it both ways. I guess it's kind of how much you want to weigh into one side or the other. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes back to the central question, right? right. Are you more convinced that, that a faceless organization would carry out something like this? Or are you more convinced... Of the intrinsic ungoodness of every person. I can't help but feel like it's a little bit of a combination of both. Because I just, something just seems off about the story to me. It's like, he's just able to, listen, I don't know how any of that works. But he just is able to move 1,000, like he's able to buy all that land. Mm-hmm. And just move 1,000 people down there. And the U.S. Embassy's like, sure thing, bud. Like, and they helped him. They helped him orchestrate it. I mean, I don't know how any of that works. I've never tried to buy land in another country. 
<laughs> I've never used a U.S. embassy before. Um, you know, it's like we know that the the CIA, though, as we, that America in the past, we know this through hindsight that we've gotten ourselves involved in the uh, politics of Latin American countries. <laughs> we've done yeah. horrible things down there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, putting it mildly. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh. That was you. I don't know why I was laughing like that, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's really I creepy. Totally agree with you 100%. So it's like it kind of like there's like all these little connections. Mm-hmm. I guess it's just how much you feed into those. I'm feeling I mean, it. that's how the I'm store Banana f- Republic got its start. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> the gap. Find uh, the gap. Um I can I don't know. I just feel like there's something to it where, if anything, maybe the CIA was just kind of like, huh, what's going on with this Jones guy? Well, let's see how this, let's see how this plays out. See how this guy controls people. Let's see what's up. Yeah. Maybe they did a sin of omission. They were involved. You know, you got Dwyer is allegedly a CIA agent. Mm-hmm. You've got his connection to Mitrione. You've got, uh, you know, I don't think it's, I mean, I don't want to give away my verdict, but I don't think it's that unplausible to say that they at least had knowledge of what was going on. Well, I'm sure they had knowledge. Because allegedly he, Jim Jones had a file, I think, from in, <laughs> in the CIA or the FBI. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he did. I mean, is it crazy to say that they would just You let... don't think that somebody who's out preaching about <laughs> racial integration didn't get yeah. a file in Hoover's FBI? Right, right, You're right. You're crazy, yeah. right? Like, we established that with Pro. Like, of course Hoover had a file on him. And Jones would bring up Pro. Yeah. He would bring up this stuff constantly. Yeah, he went after the FBI, so yeah. of course he had a file. Um, He was a proponent of talking about how Martin Luther, Martin Luther King was uh, assassinated by the U.S. government. Right. Um, you know, I don't, I mean, so to say that, they, like, they would just, like, people bring up Charlie Manson, too, a lot, that, like, he's an MKUltra experiment, that they set him loose or they just let him do his thing to kind of see how he, to get information on manipulating people. That's the theory that that MKUltra ended in 1973. Mm-hmm. They stopped doing drug testing and moved into religious cults. Right. And so they would just like set up a guy like a Jones or a Manson, you know, get him hooked on drugs and other things and then set him loose and see what he did. Yeah. See how it worked out. Yeah. I mean, given the track record of MKUltra, I don't know. I'm not that unconvinced. I and I agree with you. Okay? I agree with you. Okay, Andy has put his knife down. He's not gonna kill me with my own weapon. <laughs> I agree with you. Uh but Incoming Beach Boy story about how they met Charlie Manson. Ah no, I don't want to talk about Charlie Manson. I want to talk about Jonestown. Uh Incoming Beach Boy stories about how they almost joined they Jonestown. They all went to Jonestown and performed a concert there. Uh no, it was it's I, Yes, there are some connections, but these aren't hard and fast connections. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, oh, your Jim Jones is uh, like photograph of Bitrioni. And like, I mean, obviously, like Dwyer's reported to be there, but, uh, you know, and who knows? Like, we don't even know that Dwyer was a CIA agent, right? I mean, he said no comment. 
Right. He was in the list. Yeah. But he's working at the U.S. Embassy. Yeah. But uh, still, right? Yeah. Uh, and here's here's another thing. How do we even know about MK Ultra? Right. It was the Church Commission. There are also congressional inquiries into Jonestown, and yet none of this was uncovered. You know what I mean? Like, this would have been before the period where, like, it would have been from the same time where they would have recovered, like, documents that talked about MKUltra. The CIA was already established to be doing this stuff. So I feel like it just doesn't jive with history the way that what we found out about MKUltra from the Church Commission because then it's like going backwards and saying, well, you know, actually all the stuff with Castro, that was false. Like I mean, Cast- well, that's a whole other conspiracy in and of itself. Yeah, but but you see what I'm saying? Like, that's yeah. kind of part of this is that like, oh, Jim Jones is like doing all this stuff. That's how why he's in South America is to is to like be a CIA asset and do all these things. And part of it is that, you know, Castro is an actor, but. We already know that the CIA was like ha- talking to mobsters to have Castro assassinated. So, are we just ex- are they like just playing both sides of the field? Uh, I mean, sure you could say that, but we already uncovered all this stuff. So then we're we're almost saying that like all that stuff is not. There's even more stuff that wasn't uncovered. You yeah. know, I, I don't know. To me, I don't know it's about a bit the Bay of, of Pigs stuff. It's a bit, it's a bit of a stretch. I mean, obviously, you're offended because we're bringing up the Bay of Pigs. Like my family won. Okay, <laughs> the kingdom of baby back ribs is dead. Yeah, you took them over. We slaughtered all of their people. Yeah. <laughs> um, nothing I don't know left, how much. Nothing I'm... left but the bones. Yeah. Okay. You ate the bones, and then I ate the bones. I ate the bones. I ate the bones. Hey, OG bunk funkers, you better know that commercial. Yeah. If you don't know that KFC commercial. Andy St. Clair. Andy St. Clair. Get, check it out. It's on YouTube probably. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the Bay of Pigs stuff is kind of, you know, it's a lot of conjecture. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of stuff to kind of back it up mm-hmm. unless you kind of di- deep dive into that mm-hmm. to know that. Um, and what is not conjecture here? Like, go go on that. Like, what here is not conjecture? Jim well, Jones with respect to the CIA. Wait, what do you mean? Like, which parts are established? Well, that uh, there were alleged CIA connections to him. Alleged? I mean, yeah. We can't mm-hmm. know for certain if Dwyer or Mitrione were in the CIA, although it does seem highly plausible. Right. Um, I mean, they had a lot of fucking drugs. Where'd they get all those drugs? And the medical records? Like, the daily medical records and all those drugs? Yeah. I mean, if we believe that to be true, I guess we can't really know. I mean, maybe we could do some deeper diving into the research, but from what I saw, you know, I mean, how about that? Like the, all the, the bungling of the bodies and all that, just like leaving them out there and all that stuff. What do you make of that? I mean, you're just going to go with uh, how people fucked up. Yeah. Like how many times do people do dumb shit <laughs> and who was expecting this you know what i mean yeah it's not like they were ready for a for a thousand people to suddenly be dead yeah but like they know how to transport dead bodies yeah 36 caskets that's it yeah yeah i admit i mean the counting of it like the different the waffling back and forth first the guy in these can't count 
I mean, what what are they trying to do there? You know, is it trying? Are they trying to save face? Is the CAA trying to like hide its tracks that they were aware of it or helped in some way? Yeah, the body count is weird. I yeah. mean, because then there's just tons and tons of missing people. But it's like, well, where did they go? It's over 500 people. That's not easy to hide. What do you mean? If if we're if we're saying like, oh, the Guyanese were right when they counted like 400 bodies. Yeah. Originally, then there were over 500 people were missing. Well, I yeah, that or um the bodies were all there and they're just not reporting the right statistics because yeah. they want to hide the fact that they killed off a lot of the other ones. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. They reported a low count because the rest were murdered. Right. Yeah. No, I bet it's like close to I bet I bet the I bet Dr. Mutu is more accurate that there were probably only a few bodies that didn't have evidence of being murdered. Yeah. That's what I think. But like I said, I don't think it's fair to call it a mass suicide like was being reported. Right. Um what well, it is it is odd. I'll grant that. Yeah. I mean, uh, allegedly also that like they couldn't find any of those medical records. Like they were, all the ID tags were stripped off people mm-hmm. and all of Dr. Whatever his name, Shocked's, his medical records were like taken by the, uh, the government before they could, you know, any of that be reported, which maybe, you know, that's like a privacy thing. I don't know. Yeah. But the, um, Massive amount of, like, how the fuck did Jones get his hands on all those drugs? I mean, where do you even get, because like, those are like, that's, that's not like over-the-counter shit. Yeah. These are like classic MKUltra drugs. Right. It's a good question, but I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. You know what I mean? I don't know how hard that stuff would have been to secure. I don't know either. You know, I mean, obviously we saw in MK Ultra that a corrupt medical official can get you pretty much anything you want, right? So if Dr. Schacht has, you know, the authority to gather all this stuff, um, you know, maybe that's it. You can divert uh, people's temple resources to Dr. Schacht to procure all of these drugs and then, you know, bring them with you when you go to Guyana. I don't know. He wasn't making that much. Like, you know, it's like he was siphoning money from the people. Like, right. The people gave him real estate. Yeah. They gave him their social security, their fucking, all their work checks. I mean, everything. Yeah. It's like signing over. Sitting on a bank of money. Yeah. Cause it's like you, you live in a commune. So you sign over all of your like personal assets to the commune and then they're divvied up as needed. Yeah. I mean, the, the theory that, like maybe they had some involvement, but Jones kind of got out of hand. Yeah. They're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> right. You know, there's a, uh, a Coen Brothers film, which I know you haven't seen, <laughs> but it's called Burn After Reading. Yeah. And spoiler alert for this like 15 year old movie. But uh, essentially it's like these dimwits think they've uncovered some CIA agents plot because mm-hmm. they they see something about his like work ID and then they like think they've stolen the CIA documents. Yeah. But in reality, they've stolen his memoirs. It's John, uh, 
Malkovich's memoirs, and he keeps saying memoir. It's very funny. And uh, so they, they get the documents mixed up. They think they have his CIA document. They actually have his memoirs. And um, eventually the way it all ends, spoiler alert, is like they end up like everyone ends up killing each other. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, like some CIA agent hands the head of the CIA like a document and it's J.K. Simmons and he's like reading it and he's like, uh-huh. Ohio State grad J.K. Simmons. He's reading it and he goes, uh-huh. So, uh, so they're all dead? The guy's like, yeah. He's like, nothing to worry about here. <laughs> you know, and he like just kind of throws it away. And then it goes, we are farmers. Yep, exactly. And maybe that's kind of like what happened. I don't know. Maybe that's like a Jonestown thing. They were like, oh, yeah. He uh, he killed everybody? Yeah, I see that. So no one's going to know that we kind of were involved in this? Okay. Yeah, it kind of worked out if there wasn't CIA because everybody died. I mean, except for the congressman that died. That, that probably got it more attention than they wanted. Sure. But Maybe that's the turning point. Maybe they were like, oh, he moved everyone to Guyana. Let's see how this plays out. We might learn a thing or two. All of a sudden, this motherfucker murders a congressman. You know, all this shit's going down. They're like, oh, fuck. We underestimated how fucked up this guy was. Yeah. Right? Well, and and you know what, too? It As much as we've talked about how much Jim Jones likes to control people, does this not feel like the most out-of-control situation <laughs> in the, the history of mankind? Uh, no. Because it's like, I mean... He had it on lock. But did he? He moved them all to this. He convinced one thousand people to move to a remote jungle. No, 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 no. In the nineteen seventies, where they I, can't do anything. I mean, the Ryan congressional delegation. Oh yeah, that's that whole situation is so out of. I mean, he's got somebody trying to stab the congressman while he's at Jonestown, and then just a tractor load of guys go up with guns and just start shooting. <laughs> they show up on their hayride. It's like they clearly have, like, if Jones planned all that. Like, that's the stupidest fucking plan he could ever have. But it's like, I mean, I think it speaks to his mental state if it is a plan of his that, you know, oh, he doesn't want the, he doesn't want Ryan to come at first. He doesn't want anybody to come. And then he changes his mind. And then after they get there, he's like, make it sure everything's fine when they get there so that it looks like it's a paradise. Oh, people defected. Fuck, what am I going to do? I know. Let's murder everybody. Yeah. I mean, I think at that point... It's like point, that was never going to work out, yeah. obviously. He, like, I mean, you know, he, obviously he'd been practicing mass suicides for a long time. Right. Constantly preaching that they were going to do this and... Right. All that shit and making them drink wine and whatnot. And, um, yeah, I just... I think, you know, you have to remember, too, at that point, like, various exposés about the church had come out. Like, people were like, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you need only listen to the death tapes to make the determination that Jones is not a well person. No, he's he not. He is an not unwell, uh, paranoid person who has like completely descended into madness. Uh, listeners, if you want to listen to, I mean, probably like what, like days worth of footage yeah. or audio recordings, Jones, rec- I mean, this speaks to the paranoia, recorded Everything. Yeah. Every single communication that he made over the yeah. loudspeakers, over the radio that b- communicated between Jonestown and Georgetown and between that and San Fran, he recorded it all constantly, mm-hmm. all of it. And the FBI has all of it. And now um, San Diego State University has it. So, yeah, th- uh, truly, 
is a compendium of um of knowledge. Yeah. I mean, everything you want to know. I mean, and some of the stuff is, like you said earlier, unsettling. But, I mean, it really does showcase uh, a person who has lost his tether to reality. And I'm not trying to let Jones off the leash here. You know, he's still spearheaded all this. Yeah. My You're thing saying is that like, he was influenced in these actions by even worse actions in a way by maybe, the CIA. Maybe. Depending on how you judge right. that, the morality how, of that. How, yeah, how much involvement did they have? Was it more of just a sin of omission or was it they were funding, giving him some of the drugs, saying well, like, hey, what kind of research did this guy get? Like maybe they just swooped in and were like, hey, that well, that was a fucked up situation. Go see what kind of research you did. Let's see what's up. Go, just grab it, you know? Yeah. Because allegedly like, you know, it, it took a while. I, they're in the middle of nowhere. So they had to, you know, the survivors had to wait. It took like a couple days. And then finally, you know, the U.S. sends people over. And then it takes like a whole week. And it's like allegedly a bunch of, you know, the Guyanese came down, stripped all the bodies of all their jewels. There was a allegedly like immense wealth, like millions of dollars being hidden there. You know, I think Jones had a lot of money, but did he have millions? I don't know. I don't know about that. In the 70s. I'm skeptical of that claim because I actually am like skeptical that there was- Because you're a millionaire? Because I am a multi-billionaire and- You're I'm running for president. Right. I am, uh, I'm running for president. Uh, vote for me. Um, no, I'm skeptical of that because I don't actually think there was any money at Jonestown. What do you mean? I don't think there was that much money there. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that there was enough money- for them plane tickets to get everybody down there, buy the land. No, there's money in it, but I don't think that there were yeah. like millions of dollars on site. No. Like I think that I think that it was more like impoverished than that. Yeah. You know? Like I don't I think that they had the ability to get cash and stuff, but I'm just guessing that there probably wasn't a ton of money sitting around. Maybe I'm wrong. That's just my speculation. Yeah. Um, I think the site was torn down, paved over, and then it got turned into like a home for a specific refugee from a co- co- country that I can't remember. <laughs> but I think there's people living there now and it's just kind of, uh, it's just there, someone else's home now. Yeah. It's kind of fucked up to live on a place where 900 some people lost their lives i mean it's it's fucking terrible you know it's like those 300 children well just we cannot identify them you you don't know how many people have died in the place where you live there's gonna be one more if he doesn't shut the fuck <laughs> up right now <laughs> i'm just saying pew, 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 pew. Oh, oh you're all privy to this uh <laughs> listeners you're a witness <laughs> you're going to jail now shot andy no, I'm just saying, you never know at one point in time how many people have died in the area where you are. Good. Fucking someone give me some cyanide to get away from <laughs> this guy. Am I right, listeners? Oh, my God, with his logic. People, when they know that somebody died there, find it so unsettling. Like, oh, I wouldn't want to sleep in the same bed where somebody died. It's like, who cares? 
Do you have any humanity left? Did you wash the sheets? It's fine. Do you have any humanity left? (laughs) A shred, maybe. (laughs) You have no connection to the spiritual world whatsoever. No. I would barely even go into the room where my grandparents died, let alone sleep (laughs) there. Back at the house where they, uh, they lived. I wouldn't go into that room. It was weird. Nobody did. We just left the rooms as they were. Wow. All their stuff just preserved like a uh, mosaic. I don't know. Mosaic? Not, no, not a mosaic. Museum? Museum, maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, nah, that doesn't bother me. I don't know. You got any other points you want to bring up here, Andy? Um. I I just want to say every time I learn anything about Jonestown, there's always some hard. new and disgusting thing about it. Oh, what do you mean? It's like every time I like I felt like oh, like I'm pretty aware of what was going on, but every time there's some new thing that I'll be like oh I didn't know about that. That's fucked up. Yeah. Um, I do want to say too that I think it's a real shame that uh the People's Temple isn't a thing anymore. That it's a, it's bad that Jonestown happened, but more than anything, it's really a shame that that uh, that organization um, had to end. Because I think it would have been really cool for all of us to see the People's Temple duke it out with Scientology. <laughs> for That's the craziest who, cult, who could have the most fucked up pseudo religion? Oh my god. I don't know, man. I mean, there's a lot of disturbing shit about Scientology, but I feel like People's Temple takes the cake. Oh, People's Temple's worse if it's anything. I mean, Scientology has like locked up its, you know, it has that Sea Org and Shelly Miscavige is missing. Yeah. And has been missing for a long time. What did David Miscavige do to his wife? Uh, But they're another episode for another day. It's fucked up when the Scientology... Comes out and says, that was fucked up. Yeah, but I don't feel like that's genuine. You know what I mean? Like, I feel <laughs> no. like they're like, oh, man, the People's Temple is so fucked up. Look at all this shit they're doing. <laughs> uh, I mean, we do the same stuff, but whoa, they're well, fucked up. I don't actually know the history of Scientology, but it was it in its infancy or no? It was like, uh, it was still like a not well-known thing. Yeah, it would have been smaller at the time. Like, it wouldn't have been what it is now. Yeah, um, uh, John obviously. Travolta would have just been getting into it. Right. I think that I think People's Temple would have been more well established in a sense. But uh obviously, um, you know, People's Temple's type members found Scientology to fill the void. I mean, like Scientology is really bad. Yeah. And and kind of in the same ways. From what I hear, Temple. its numbers are dwindling. Yeah. And it doesn't have that big of a membership to begin with. No. They always prop it up like they have this these but if you actually plot out the worldwide numbers of it's like yeah. they are they don't even make it on the graph yeah it's tiny they just have so much real estate like i mean getting classified as a church because they you know they have access to all this tax wealthy people and stuff and then when they don't have to pay taxes it's like they they bought up so much property because then they can own it all tax-free baby mm-hmm. um but the, you're right that's that's another topic for another day. And that's I'm why sure. Andy is starting and I are starting Mr. Bunker's Religion Time podcast. Podcast. <laughs> no? No? no Anybody? Okay. We're going to detail the excesses of every world religion. <laughs> um, 
I mean, it's scary. You got to think how fucking your kid is trapped in another, you know, as a father, Andy, can you even imagine like some motherfuckers have like, they're, and they're just like, Hey, we moved to another country. And you're just like, what? <laughs> That's the thing that gets me <laughs> so fucked up with stuff like this. And with Scientology, I'm like, I always am like, how badly do you need this in your life that you can let these things happen to your child? Like I couldn't, I couldn't imagine like being Grace Stone and watching this happen and being like trying to justify it. I'd be like, this is over right now. Yeah. Oh, I hit the mic. And he slapped the mic. I'm so worked up. Just like <laughs> just like I slapped my own son. I slap him. Not somebody else. I paddle his little butt. Okay. No, I don't. I don't believe in that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, I don't know how you could watch your neighbors, I guess, whack your kid's ass with a paddle and just be like, I don't like this, but I'll try to make it work. It's like, no, fuck this. I'm leaving. I mean, there's, if you watch the PBS documentary, um, <laughs> which <laughs> it's not funny, but like the, the actors, the actor who does the PBS, cause the PBS document documentary interviews, Real survivors and mm -hmm. Jim Jones's actual natural born son, Stephen. Um, and then it does like recreations of events. And the actor who plays Jim Jones, the way he says like white knight, he's always like, Why knight? Why knight? Why knight? Why knight? <laughs> it's just, I don't know. <laughs> it's not funny in the context because it's terrible, but like it's the actor's portrayal of it that makes yeah. me laugh. Why knight? Why knight? Why knight? He's like one of the uh, one of the aliens from Mars Attacks. Yeah, right, right. Uh, but I forget her last name. But she changed her name from Linda to Sharon, I think. And she was kind of like one of Jones's like head honchos, like Linda Peters. Yeah, yeah. Changed her name to Sharon Peters. Huh? Is it? What reference are you making? No, just sharing sharing Peters. Is it a penis joke? Yeah. It's a joke. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> anyway, she killed her kids. Uh, no, she was like, she was centered at Georgetown as like the main communicator there and killed all three of her children and then herself mm -hmm. when Jones said the word. And it's like, you're in pretty deep. Point. You're in pretty fucking deep at that point. I mean, you do that. When we talked about Hitler, I mean, this is some Goebbels shit. It's crazy. Goebbels killed his whole family. Yeah. I mean, and let's face it. Nobody's ever like, ah, oh, he was just like misguided. Like he was a sick fuck. <laughs> like no offense. Uh, he was troubled. No offense, Sharon, but you're a sick fuck. Like that you could, that you, that you let this, something like this dictate that kind of decision. Especially when yeah. you could have just not done it and nobody would have ever cared because they were all dead. Like, yeah. let, let's face it. Like, you didn't have to do it. Her daughter was brainwashed, too. The daughter was, like, 21 years old. Yeah. People, it's fucked up. You know, you get raised that way, and sometimes it just is hard to let go because it's the only thing you know. I mean, the dad was, the dad arrived with the Ryan delegation, and he was hanging out. He'd never seen, he hadn't seen his daughter in a while. He was estranged for her, but he was worried about her, and he wanted to mm -hmm. reconnect. And he saw her the day before. And said, like, okay, we're going to meet tomorrow, you know, and, like, mm -hmm. whatever, go fishing the next day at, like, 6 in the morning or something. 
And she seemed like everything was fine. Everything in the world. It's just like, it's, it's fucked up, man. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's why, I don't know. Got to look out for your family members and stuff. Don't you know? have heroes. Like don't don't expect that any other person is uh, is going to save you. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I if whatever religion you believe, political figures, religious figures, whatever your religion, it's like don't believe that some that a regular that a person who participates in that religion is going to save you, you know? Like your salvation lies within. The power is in the people. You have to do your Those own. Those people didn't realize how much power they had. Yeah. There's a thousand of them. Yeah. And there's like what? A handful of Jones? Like yeah. guards? If they if they stormed Jones's compound, yeah. like they could have, I mean, sure, a lot of them would have died. Yeah. They're going to run out of bullets eventually. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I hate to say it like that, but no, that's- No, you're right. You know, if they were willing to go through, some but, of these people willing to go through with suicide, I mean, yeah. I don't think it was really that many, but- the social isolate. I mean, they were malnourished. They mm-hmm. were socially isolated. You could say this for a lot of different things. I mean, yeah. it's like any number of great tragedies where people have been genocided. It's like, well, yeah. why did they just rise up? Like, well, we understand. It's that. complicated. Yeah, the circumstances. It's complicated. Yeah. And what if they got out? Where are they going to go? Yeah, they're in the middle of the fucking jungle. You got to go five miles to get to an airstrip. And then where do you go? And the way Jones operates, you just have to assume that you're going to die. Right? Yeah. Like, it's no wonder that people took the opportunity of Congressman Ryan's visit to try to get out because it seemed like there was probably some safety in defecting then. Because if you just defected on your own, it's like, you're probably not going to get out. I mean, it fucking went down quick, too. I guess (laughs) I never realized that the Jonestown story, it happened in like a flash. Yeah. It's like the 70s and then bam. And what's crazy is the, uh, you know, the way he was able to convince people. I mean, Rosalind Carter uh, was a big fan of him, and allegedly yeah. he got a bigger pop than she did when they went on like a press tour together. Harvey Milk defended uh, Harvey Milk, famously one of the, I think, the first openly gay senator. Or was he a congressman? Mayor, right? He wasn't a mayor. He was a senator. Ooh. Let's double check it. We're going to double check it for you. I've seen the film Milk. I should know, but it's been a while. He was the first openly gay elected official in the history of California. He was the board of supervisors. supervisors. But anyway, Harvey Milk um, defended Jim Jones for a long time. Publicly. So, you know, you can kind of see it's like so you're this defector, right? And you're sitting there, you're like, they're crazy. They're trying to, they're killing people. They're doing all these terrible things. And it's like the rest of the world is pointing at you and saying, no, you're the crazy one. They're yeah. great people over there at the people's temple. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just that. I mean, that's in America, right? Like, right. Imagine what that's like over in uh, Jonestown where you're like, Hey, I kind of want to get out of here. Yeah. You don't know if the person next to you is going to turn you in. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it'd be it'd be scary to try to like tell somebody that you wanted to leave. I mean, God knows I wouldn't tell you shit, man. You'd turn oh. me in, oh. you fucking oh. narc. Instantly. You narc? I'd you'd tell me that and I'd be like, Well, I gotta I got some stuff to do. I gotta do. go take a poopy. I got 
real bad diarrhea. I'm going to be gone for about a half an hour. So just let's end this conversation now. And hey, you why are you walking back. towards Jones's hut? Oh, yeah, my toilet's over that way. You take shits at Jones's hut? No, no, I just, it's over. I got to walk by there. <laughs> why are you walking so fast, Andy? Yeah, I got the shits. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> and that's how it would play. Yeah. Yeah, I want my I want my gold star. <laughs> you get an extra portion of rancid beef <laughs> for turning me into the fucking social isolation chamber. Little do they know, my guts don't care about rancid meat. <laughs> I eat so much trash, it doesn't even matter. Uh, well, speaking of rancid meat, I guess we should get to our yeah, verdicts. Yeah, let's get to our verdicts. Uh, what are we going to verticize on this one? I guess what level of CIA, CIA involvement... involvement? You know yeah. how much plausibility you want to attribute to that, um, Andy? Yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to, because obviously Jonestown's not a conspiracy. That's a factual thing. No, yeah, it happened. Um, I'm going to say for the CIA involvement, plausible minus. I, I'm not totally convinced. Again, I don't, I think that. What has you hanging up the most? Here's the thing is that a lot of this, a lot of the CIA's misdeeds came Excuse to me. light, Right. Uh, and they were oh, God, again. Sorry. That's how we know about MK Ultra, uh, and a lot of things have become declassified since then, and are free and open to the public. And there's not much more than speculation. Operation that the CIA, Family Jewels. Yeah, that the CIA was involved in in Jonestown. Um, you know, but at the same time, I don't think anything you said is so far off base. I think that there's still plausibility. I'm not willing to say that there was none, uh, no involvement at all. But uh, I'm just not super convinced and i think at the end of the day while i think that institutions will screw you over without a second thought um you know i think that the thing that makes up institutions is people and i think that at the end of the day people people can be pretty callous uh and cold toward others and i think that you get uh for lots of reasons uh swept up in whatever it is that you're a part of and it sometimes makes you numb to the fact that you're dealing with another human being. Uh, and I was on the train just the other day, and some dude uh, was like sitting in one of the seats, and he was doubled over in pain. He was like grabbing his ankle and just like crying and like being like, <laughs> but he was like he had his headphones in, he still had like his phone, but every now and again he would just double over and. Everyone was just kind of like, whatever. Till eventually someone like tried to offer him like some Advil or something. And then I think, I mean, I don't know. I think then he went into like, he explained to the person he has, I don't know. I wasn't, I had my headphones in. I wasn't really listening, <laughs> but I, I'm going to assume it was like, he was explaining. Yeah. I have some kind of disorder that causes like immense pain every now and again. And there's nothing I can do about it. Blah, 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 or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's city living. Yeah. You I just mean, ignore stuff like that. Yeah, we learn to just totally ignore other human beings yeah. in the city. And I think that uh I think it's not unreasonable at all to think that uh a person like Jim Jones could orchestrate and get, you know, I mean, people who have like sick fantasies of being like an enforcer. Well, and it, to be, be cruel yeah cruel harsh guards i mean i think that you're all you you wouldn't i mean i think that some a lot of people would be surprised by the cruel acts that 
seemingly normal people can perpetrate against yeah. other human beings. Well, we've mentioned many a psychology study, you know, the Milgram shock experiment, the mm -hmm. Stanford prison experiment, mm -hmm. seemingly ordinary people yeah. can be converted to do heinous, heinous things. Yeah. And another thing we didn't really touch on is that the uh, demographics of Jonestown was like 70% black. Mm -hmm. So Jones was like feeding off of the, you know, the marginalized and the, you know, mm -hmm. he wasn't, it's, it's not like a Scientology thing where he's like getting some celebrities. It's like he was mostly catering to, mm -hmm. you know, marginalized peoples. Yeah. And then he just brought them all over to Jonestown and killed them. Right. Um, I don't know where the switch happens if he was always a fucking crazy person. You know, can you even say that like maybe, maybe back in the day he actually had somewhat of a heart. When, when was it all real and when was it all fake? We can never know. No. Because so many of the stories are apocryphal, spelt the way I spelled it. Um, it's just hard to tell. You know, is the Rainbow Family a thing for show? Is it, not, I mean, you know, yeah. Some knows? of his adopted kids lost family members in Jonestown. Yeah, his adopted uh, black son, I think, lost family members in Jonestown, if I recall correctly. Um, but he's still alive, and Stephen Jones is still alive. Yeah, Stephen Jones Jr. Is it Stephen Jones Jr. Or is it just Stephen Jones? Anyway, I guess <laughs> it's time for my verdict. Um, I'm going. It doesn't happen often, but I'm going opposite. I'm saying plausible plus. I'm, there's something I, fishy. All right. Now, I plausible plus is not crazy. I felt it. You're like 10 degrees below. I'm 10 degrees above. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I still, I just think there's something fishy going on. I, I have to, I feel like there is some either excluded information or withheld information or there's, you know, there's just something weird going on. Now, maybe in the future, we will look into more stuff like Marilyn Manson, Marilyn Manson, uh, Charlie Mason, Charlie Manson. God damn. I'm losing it. Easy for you to say. Oh, I'm losing it. Art needs to eat something. Art needs to eat. Um, I had a banana. Ugh, didn't do the job. Didn't do the job. Um, you know, maybe, maybe in the future, we'll look at more cult topics and uh you know we'll we'll change our conclusions but yeah uh, i think there needs to be some more research done but for now plausible plus um listeners that That's was our fair. verdict let us know what you think did we get it right did we get it wrong stephen gandhi jones by the way changed his name or was that his oh i don't know that's what it oh that was like his full name yeah that checks out Jim Jones. We, I mean, we didn't even mention the basketball team. I left that out of the research because I felt like, you know, it was already getting too long, but <laughs> there's a whole bunch of stuff there. You yeah. can look it up with, he was on the basketball, his son was on the basketball team and he wasn't, he was allowed to leave and go play in Guyana and Georgetown and yeah, he avoided the whole massacre. But anyway, listeners, you got to let us know what you think. Yeah. Um, let us know. Email us, mrbunkerpod at gmail.com. Tweet at us or slide into our Instagram at mrbunkerpod for both. Look at our YouTube. Uh, YouTube search Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast and follow us on Twitch at mrbunkerpod. Go to our website at mrbunkersconspiracytime.com. Why not? Just go. Just go. It's fun. 
Um, Andy. Oh, what hashtag should they use? Oh, boy. Hashtag. Who's the lead singer of Crowding, Counting Crows? Oh, I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> wait, hold on. We'll get it. Is it Counting Crows? Adam Dervitz? Adam ah, Dervitz. That's not funny. Um, uh, hashtag Kool-Aid Jammers. Hashtag. Use the hashtag, hashtag Kool-Aid Jammers. Let us know what you think about um, the research presented here on Jonestown. Kool-Aid may not appreciate that hashtag. but They might not sponsor us now, Andy, but hey, you did it. <laughs> yep. Uh, Andy, any last words? Um, uh, Great last words. No, I don't think so. I guess if I don't have one ready, yeah. then I don't have any it's last okay. words. Anyway, thanks for listening. We got to get out of here, listeners. For the titular Mr. Bunker and for my plethoric... <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Co-host Andy Hart. I'm Art Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. Yummy. <laughs>